Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 7th, 2022, including U.S. Senators begin to weigh in on Microsoft's Activision purchase, E3 2022 is officially canceled in all capacities, 343 owns up to Halo Infinite's lack of live service while details of a new mode begin to leak, and more. On this day in Xbox history, Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin Edition released for Xbox One in 2015. That is our This Day in Gaming fact for Xbox. Guys, welcome to episode 148, that's 148, of the Xbox On podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Now, you guys, we've got... This is a weird week of news because there's a ton of stories, but nothing that's like, oh man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into this, but... I think, I don't know, I have a good feeling we're going to get into some, some wacky conversations, so I'm feeling good about this one. You guys, please get excited with me. If you are driving, please try to focus on the podcast right now. Take your hands off the wheel. Stop paying attention to the road. I'm talking. It's very rude to be driving while I'm talking. So settle down. Crack open an ice cold dew. Let's talk about a couple of uh, light stories, things of mild interest, stories to which expand upon from, from previous weeks or maybe corrects, corrections, adjustments to things I said the other week. Who knows? Let's just jump right in, because we got quite a few at the top of the show this week, you guys. It's it's growing and growing. Pretty soon, 90% of the show is going to be the opening, and then it'll be 10%. Here's what I ate. Anyway, Starfield. You guys excited for it? Well, it looks like some Redditor leaked a bunch of images of the game. I was kind of excited to like be like, hey, guys, substantial looks at what this game is going to be like. And then I looked at the images. And I'm like, oh, this is basically nothing. So... You can look at that if you want. You won't get much out of it. I wouldn't worry about spoiling anything of the game. It's it's really mostly just really like out of context, vague, mostly concept art looking related shit. And then like a photo of a guy in third person looking like a spaceman. So nothing really big to see there. But I know a couple of Starfield related bits of news this week. There's also that video that Bethesda published about some robot companion in the game. I don't I don't care. My thing is, it's like, why would I want to learn about this game that is a brand new IP set in an all new world in the capacity of like, aren't you excited for the next installment of your favorite? You know, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to excite me about a brand new IP, a brand new world, a brand new story, it's like, show me something substantial from the get. Be like, here's a trailer with characters and plot and gameplay and cinematics and everything and a name for the game and a release window. Here's everything. It's like, be excited about this new thing you didn't know existed until now. You know, like, the, the way they've been showing Starfield, like, here's the name, and then many years later, here's a piece of concept art, and then, like, months leading up to the game's release, like, here's a developer diary talking about um, some of the outposts you can visit. It's like, dude, this is what I would want to hear about, like, the second or third installment in a game I really love, a game where I already have a concept of what it is and I'm invested in, but, like, why, I don't, I don't give a shit about learning about robot companions in a game I don't even know if I like yet, so interesting way to market a game i feel like but 
I, I know it works for some people. So if you're if you're eagerly anticipating Starfield, maybe there's some news out there for you. Just thought I'd bring some attention to the fact that it exists. And if you want to remain completely pure, maybe maybe stay away from those leaks. Now, moving on from Starfield, because we're not nerds. We don't live in outer space. Let's talk about Game Pass. So shortly after last week's big news about PlayStation finally having some kind of subscription service that is in some way a competitor to Game Pass, Microsoft drops a, a little bit of uh, news to help make sure you don't forget that they're a huge part of the conversation as well and says, hey guys, uh, Game Pass is getting a family plan option coming soon. So according to a report from Windows Central, uh, this is from Jez Corden, he says his sources claim the plan is to allow multiple users in one household to access the Game Pass service, similar to how Spotify or Nintendo Online family plans work. Quote, according to trusted sources familiar with Microsoft's efforts, we can now confirm Xbox is moving ahead with Game Pass for family or Game Pass family plan, which should be set to launch sometime this year, according to his report. So that's a nice little update. I know that's, you know, it's one of those things. It's not going to get people like, fuck yeah, family plan. But for those who do need something like this or, or want something like this, this is a huge relief for them. You know, I can only imagine if you're one of those parents that plays games, but you also have like two or three kids that are really into gaming and it's like, holy shit, I'm not going to do like four Game Pass subscriptions. But lucky enough, most of those people probably don't have that issue because let's say you're a mom or dad and, and you love to game on Xbox. You probably don't need a Game Pass subscription because your little kids are just playing Fortnite or Minecraft. Let's be Let's be honest about that. All right, next up, The Coalition, of course, developers of the Gears of War franchise, ever since uh, Gears 4 and beyond, are working on, or they released and revealed this week, a, a an Unreal Engine 5 cinematic test, which a lot of companies, developers, Unreal Engine Epic had this whole, like, reveal showcase talking about the power and capability of the new engine, and a lot of different publishers and developers were there in support, showing off things, but Coalition, or Gears of War developers, were one of them, and they shared this uh, cinematic test they did with this uh, burly-looking motherfucker who looks kind of like a cross between a Gears of War and a Halo character, and he's holding this stalactite, and he's in a cave, and he's angry, and the facial animation looks really, really impressive. It looks like a, a, a fully artistically rendered CGI cutscene playing out real time. It's quite impressive. I recommend you try it. You, you check it out. It's about a minute and a half long video. But the, the bigger takeaway from here, well, obviously, the Coalition is working in Unreal Engine 5 for their next project. But this is kind of the, the next studio. You know, there's studios we know what they're working on. There's studios where it's like they're kind of in development hell, like the initiative, and we're like, what the fuck is that all about? The Coalition's kind of in an interesting and exciting spot because... We don't know necessarily exactly what they're working on. Like, yes, it's a given. They're working on the sequel to Gears 5 because Gears 5, spoiler alert, ends on a massive cliffhanger. There's going to be a Gears 6. But we've also seen the reports that the Coalition are working. They have a second team working on a brand new IP. And we know the Coalition has consistently put out super high quality products. And, and especially when you're talking about like visual and graphical fidelity, I, I would say the, the, initi the Coalition, like, let me know if you can think of a better example, but the Coalition might be, aside from obviously like turn 10 because racing games are always pretty, the Coalition might make the most technologically advanced, high-fidelity, pretty-looking games on Xbox, honestly. I mean, it looks like Ninja Theory's working to maybe dismantle or take that mantle with, uh, with Hellblade 2, and obviously, you know, really high-quality racing games generally have jaw-dropping visuals, but... I don't know, man. Gears Five and its and its uh, and its DLC and everything just looked absolutely stunning. 
And just knowing that they're working on the latest version of Unreal Engine and that they're also potentially working on a second game that is unrelated to Gears of War, I'm just really excited to see what these guys can do because as a massive Halo, as someone who's always treated Gears of War as like a game I'll, I like and I'll play when it comes out, but I don't love it the way I love Halo, It's it's been interesting this past decade or so to see the Coalition just kind of quietly keep topping the Gears of War franchise with every release and just constantly showing that they understand what fans love about that franchise. They understand how to evolve it while also paying great respect to it. They understand how to make a game that looks and feels fundamentally like, like Gears of War. And they just continue to make great games, even though clearly they get less attention than 343. They get less attention than pretty much any of Sony's teams, even though they are one of Xbox's big teams. And it's just, uh, it's going to be exciting to see them with the high level quality they produced consistently get to maybe take this new engine, take this new generation of Xbox and have a little more creative freedom to go and do something new. I, I really think that the Coalition, despite being Canadian, are are poised to be really one of the great developers this generation. So yeah, that that is some promising and interesting looking stuff. Now, here's an update on something from last week. You might recall Jeff Strain, former founder and head of Undead Labs, the State of Decay developer, released that released a um, an article on not his Substack. what was it, Medium uh, blog, basically discussing, hey, Kotaku reached out to me about this, that, and the other, and they want to uh, basically do one of their like clickbaity hit pieces on studios because they're Kotaku and they're the worst. Anyway, instead of giving them the satisfaction of answering their questions and then having them manipulate and twist them into whatever narrative they want, I'm just going to talk about my experience and answer these questions in, in my own on my own terms and on my own platform so I can say what I need to say without it being misconstrued and so he did that and then we talked about that last week about all the reportedly toxic and sexist and misogynistic culture going on at undead labs the whole jeff strain leaving the studio being a kind of absent father figure and things just being completely a mess well this past week kotaku actually posted their whole piece that they had been working on prior to jeff strain putting up his article and i i sat there in the dmv on thursday last week and and read the entire piece is a very long article. And I got to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I know it seems like, well, Jesse, all you do is shit on Kotaku. Clearly, you're biased. And yes, I am. I do hate Kotaku. But I tried, honestly, to give this piece the benefit of the doubt. I said, let's just try to forget to the best of your ability that it's Kotaku. Let's just try to read this information and, and give them the benefit of the doubt and, and think, what what are we looking at here? And I listen, I, I don't want to be the fucking asshole who's sitting here with, you know, in front of a microphone, speaking to an audience saying, hey guys, don't worry about Undead Labs. No one's being mistreated in no sexual harassment or, or verbal harassment or you know um, transphobia or anything or, or homophobia is going on in this studio. Don't worry about it. Because I, Jesse DeRosa, a host of the Xbox On podcast, who's never worked a day in the games industry, said so. Like, don't, I don't want to be that guy just spreading misinformation because I want to pick a side here. But, like, I tried to read this piece and understand it and really say, it really answered the question to myself based on the information provided. Is there anything really happening here? And I just feel like, I mean, and you should make the decision for yourself, of course. I encourage you to read both Kotaku's piece and Jeff Strain's piece. I just feel like they say a whole lot of nothing. You know, I, I, I was a, I was a literature major in college and this is the thing I love the most about studying a subject where you don't have to take a test with a definitive right or wrong answer, but rather you write papers and you make arguments. 
as as a way of you know proving your education and and establishing your credibility as a as a critical thinker and a reader and a writer. The thing I loved about that so much throughout my entire educational career was the fact that when it comes to trying to persuade people or convince people or expose some kind of narrative or perspective to people, there is no such thing as a right or wrong answer. And I know that some people that's frustrating, but I I've always loved this because. Anything is right if you can just convince people it's right. And I feel like p- places like Kotaku, Kotaku use that in a dirty way where it's just like, we want to shape this narrative that Undead Labs is this disgusting, toxic, evil place to work where women are marginalized and silenced and not given opportunity and blah, 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 blah. It's like, listen, if that's true, that's a serious problem. And Microsoft should be completely held accountable for allowing this kind of culture to to exist in one of their studios. And this studio should be audited from an HR perspective, top to bottom. We need to figure out, get to the bottom of this and, and deal with this issue. That's a very serious accusation. But you read through the piece and it's like, they don't do the one fundamental thing that you you learn as a writer, which is you can make whatever point you make you want to make. You can claim whatever you want to claim, but it doesn't mean shit unless you can back it up with detailed, specific evidence. In, in examples from, you know, in the case of writing a school paper, you know, from your text. If you're going to write a paper on a novel, you, you better use specific quotes and instances from the novel to back up the points you're trying to make. And I feel like Kotaku couldn't do that in this piece. That's how I felt reading this, where I'm like, okay, okay, here we are. We're in paragraph 14 now, and they're finally talking about misogyny and in mistreatment of women in the workplace but they never get to the specific instances there's never and i'm not asking for a name i understand people sources want to remain anonymous on something as touchy and personal as this i get that i respect that but it's not it's never like oh well this specific thing happened to a person who worked there it's always like women felt like their voices weren't heard in meetings and when they complained to management the management never did anything it's just like dude i feel like I don't know. Again, it goes back to that thing. It's like we all have jobs where you have to work with coworkers and shit. And we all know what it's like where it's like you have a coworker who just feels like they're hated because they notice other people get special attention or they, they feel like, you know, women aren't treated well here because, yeah, of course, the, unfortunately, because of the way things have gone throughout history, generally speaking, men are in a position of power. And yes, I'm not saying it should be that way, but it's just when all you're saying is like women feel like they were marginalized. People of color feel like they weren't represented properly. It's like, okay, well, like, what's the specific thing that happened? You know, it's like, and it's just always something like, well, you know, people quit because they said there wasn't enough, like, uh, gender representation. I'm like, but literally Jeff Strain even talks about, and then Kotaku even addresses in their own fucking piece that (laughs) they talked about how literally at the start of the pandemic, Microsoft introduced some initiative to start trying to hire more diversely within the company. And so they were aware of that issue or that situation at their studio and tried to address that very thing. So it's like, they're like trying to introduce controversy and then also acknowledging that Microsoft is aware of this and also addressing it. And then they're trying to like blame certain people for misogyny or silencing women, but they don't have specific examples of like this person made this point and this person was then fired for that or passed up on this promotional opportunity. It's always just like the women, a group of women felt silenced. And it's like, what, why, how, what happened? And I don't mean to dwell on this too long. It's just, I, I highly encourage if this is a subject you're interested in, maybe read both of these perspectives. I actually think it's pretty great that Jeff Strain put out his own piece because this allows a rare instance where you're going to get direct a direct response directly from the main source. And then you're going to get a piece from the media and you can kind of make your own decisions. Of course, both sides have severe bias 
in different directions. But I think it's cool to have both these pieces to kind of juxtapose and compare. Uh, I personally, like, listen, Kotaku, you, you guys have written genuine stories in the past. And for as much as I dislike Jason Schreier, who hasn't worked at Kotaku in many years at this point, there was a time be- long before he started becoming the fucking cultural warrior of like, we need to unionize the games industry even when people aren't asking for that. And we need to address crunch in the games industry when developers aren't even talking about that. Before all of that, there was a time where I was like, you know what? Jason Schreier is one of the few people in this world who actually tries to do journalism in games. And, and, and that was during his days back in Kotaku. And so there, there have been times, but man, this is, I don't know. In my opinion, this piece completely hits the mark. It's very long. It's very wordy. All, all to ultimately just say, hey, there are people at this studio who feel like they were marginalized or mistreated because of X, Y, and Z, but they never specifically state what happened or why. They just end up blaming this one woman who worked in a higher-up role and, and supposedly didn't do a good job of representing the people who had complained. But make your own conclusions. I, I don't even know why we're talking about this. I don't. I, I only really care if there are specific people who can tell a specific story and e- exemplify how they were mistreated, in which case, again, that is a serious thing that needs to be addressed and taken seriously, and I don't mean to downplay that or, or misrepresent that if, if that is truly the case. Let's stop talking about things we don't like and start talking about things we do like. Halo Infinite. Well, I, I assume we like. We used to like. I don't know. Windows Central posted a piece earlier this week. So this is directly from our, our boy JC who some might call Jesus Christ, but I just call him Jez Corden. And uh, he reports, and this is just directly from his article, that a new mode may be on the way uh, for Halo Infinite. According to the Halo watchers at, at Delta underscore hub, notice this, on Twitter, notice that if you run the game in offline mode, the game displays a new feature dubbed Big Team Battle, The Last Spartan Standing, which seems to be an upcoming free-for-all mode based on Big Team Battle. Last Spartan Standing was the f- was first announced alongside Halo Infinite Season 2 Lone Wolves back in March, but if it's already appearing within the custom game section, we should learn more soon. Exactly how it plays is unclear, but from the game's description, it seems like it's a cross between Battle Royale and Gun Game, where you where you're afforded better gear for killing other players with the goal of being the last Spartan Standing. We expect the mode to drop sometime in May along with Season 2's release. Jez Corden claims that he's heard previous rumors of a much bigger Battle Royale game being on the way, as we've reported also on this show, or, or sorry, not reported, but relayed after it was reported on the show. The mode is reportedly being developed by Certain Affinity and codenamed Tatanka, which will launch much later on. Um, so probably uh, knowing knowing 343, maybe a year or two. But uh, anyway, Last Spartan Standing may scratch the Battle Royale itch for some in the new interim, but it may also do very little to quell requests for new maps and other new content the games community is anxious for, reports Jez Corden, or, or says Jez Corden. Now, I actually think this is cool. As someone who gets severely stressed out by Battle Royale just because it is such a commitment of a, of a match to play, the idea of crossing Battle Royale with something as casual and lighthearted and fun as Gun Game, while also keeping it small scale, meaning that the games will move faster and, and, and be a little more chaotic, that makes me actually like far more interested in this um, than, than Battle Royale. Because Battle Royale, I know in the, if you're talking about a game like Fortnite, it can be very fun and goofy and arcadey and you can play it a lot of different ways. But if you're talking about most Battle Royales, like Apex Legends or, or PUBG or whatever... They're usually pretty sweaty. You know, it's like a game is going to be a minimum 20 minutes of your life. Minimum. I mean, average, like, what, like a half hour long game. And 
you you can invest you can spend so much of the game investing in yourself trying to hide trying to find good gear trying to position yourself to to be in an advantageous spot so you don't die within the first 20 40 50 people in the match um and then you make it all the way towards the end and boom you're dead and you feel like shit and it's like god all that for nothing whereas this is like actually a lot more fun because again it's even starts Instead of it being on, like, scavenge the map and collect gear, it's like, get kills to collect gear, so encourages players to fight each other and rather than hide from each other, which addresses another issue I have with Battle Royale, so that seems like a lot of fun. And then keeping it on a big team battle mode, where it's, you know, more like, what, like 24 players as opposed to 100? I, I love this. I think this is a lot of fun waiting to happen, and I, I hope this is legit. I hope that's what this is. And if it's the case, I actually look forward to this. I think it looks like Halo Infinite has a new and exciting, fun mode on the on the horizon. And even though this will likely cause lots of disruption and in, in, in belly aching from the Halo fans because they're gonna be like, this, this, it took you six months to release this. This isn't real battle, you know, whatever. This sounds unique, it sounds new, it sounds fun, and and I am all for that because Halo Infinite needs more light, casual fun. Especially for a game that is so fucking sweaty. So, I think this is cool. Speaking of Halo, while we're at it, Episode 1 of the Halo TV show, the Paramount Plus show, is now on YouTube for free. So, watch it now if you couldn't before due to like a region or a territory restriction. Like we said last week, not all regions, not all parts of the world have access to Paramount Plus. So, unless you got like NordVPN or whatever, sponsor this show, shout out to NordVPN. You know, you, you can't necessarily watch paramount plus so this is cool this this at least gives people from all around the world an opportunity to get a taste of what this show is and i think episode one is enough for you to decide whether or not this is something that's up your alley so just want to make note of that for those who haven't gotten to watch yet but guys that's it for all of our stories of mild amusement updates quick stories to kind of open up the show get us settled in with probably got you all riled up with my kotaku hate i know it's just a bunch of Kotaku lovers in this audience getting all foamy at the mouth because, god damn it, ugh, every studio is fucking broken and toxic and miserable. Honestly, when you read that piece, though, it seems like the biggest problem that studio has is the same problem the initiative has, which is like Xbox buys studio, Xbox leaves the studio to fuck off and do whatever it wants, Xbox gives too much money to higher-ups at studio in during acquisition and disrupts the talent kind of organization of the studio, studio falls into disarray and... Xbox doesn't do enough to manage it, and uh, people get mad and leave. It seems like that is, honestly, that is like the unintended takeaway from that story, from what I read. But uh, again, what do I know? I've literally never worked in the games industry. Guys, let's move on to the actual most important part of the Xbox On podcast, which is the comments, the shoutouts. They come up from YouTube.com. You know how it works. You go to YouTube.com. You look up the Xbox On podcast. You click on the latest episode. You leave a comment. You say something nice, like, Jesse, I appreciate that even though it's like 75 degrees in your apartment. You're still sweating. This is disgusting. I wonder if you are like a caveman or some shit. Why does any person sweat as much as you do? But here you are. You're still willing to sweat during a podcast, and you're not going to let that stop you from talking shit about Kotaku. I commend you. I appreciate you. Keep up the good work. And I'll say, stop watching me while I record. It's kind of gross. And then you can say something mean. You can say, Jesse, I write for Kotaku. Also, you're a guy, so shut up and stop trying to represent a woman's perspective. And also, you're stupid. And also, why do you have a phone with two screens 
when you could have a phone with three screens and then you pull out a phone with three screens and I feel dumb. And then I'll feel like I overstepped my boundaries and spoke at a turn. And then I'll probably turn off the podcast, delete every episode from existence and just start uploading really, really bad ukulele covers, which hopefully get uh, labeled as cultural appropriation because no one should be able to play the ukulele. You guys remember that time back in like the mid aughts where every fucking dude with like seen hair and skinny jeans had a goddamn ukulele and knew three chords and was like, guys, I'm going to play a song on the ukulele. And every girl was like, wow, that's no, no one likes that. Stop trying to impress girls with that. You're not cool. And, and that's a weird thing I'm just remembering right now. But guys, our first comment of the week comes from Corey Long, who says, hey, it's been a while, still caught up on episodes, so I've essentially been lurking in the shadows. We still love you, even if we aren't engaging lately. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate the support. Hope you're doing well. What you say about playing games others are either too harsh on or don't like resonated because I've been playing Ellipses New World. The bugs and quality of life issues really have not been much of an issue. I've been playing it mostly PvE, single player. Like, a good little Elder Scrolls fan. And it's nice having that annoyingly tedious grinding back in games. Stay well and give that furball a pet for me. I will, Corey. Thank you. This is a... Actually, first of all, I gotta say, I didn't know New World was controversial for being being bug-ridden or for having quality-of-life issues, quite honestly. I just remember when it came out, it seems like everyone was really into it for a hot minute, and then it just kind of fucked off, and you never heard of it again. So this is actually new information to me, so thank you for enlightening me. I, I'm actually glad you wrote in with this because I, th- I think this is something that is severely broken with with the games industry and the games community and with games media where like we just don't talk about this enough. It is okay for a bad game or a mediocre game or a game with glaringly obvious fundamental issues to still be a game that you love and enjoy to play. And, you know, I, I would argue most people would in a non-controversial way, just, you know, unanimously agree. Yeah, yeah, If you like a game and it works for you, more power to you, no one's going to give a shit. And that's fine. But I feel like there's just so, especially because the games industry in particular is so, is so responsible for this culture of like, yes, but what is it out of 10? You know, and how is it compared to this fucking game or that fucking game? You know, where it's like everything has to be compared to like, I don't know, like, what, what do people care about? Ocarina of Time and Mario 64 for some fucking reason because these incredibly antiquated N64 games are seen as, like, the pinnacle of game design for some reason. I love this because it seems like your experience with New World based on, you know, the, the issues you highlight are much like what I'm talking about with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Crossfire X. And it's just to say that, like, yeah, sometimes there is something about a game that is, like, objectively just archaic or fundamentally something that most believed we have moved past you know like why are we still making games where it's this grindy why are we still making games where the platforming has such terrible camera angles why are we making you know i I don't know just whatever the case may be there's so many examples of these kinds of things and it's like well but man sometimes the 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 corniness or the budgetiness or the imbalance of it all is kind of what makes it fun and resonate because it can feel like like a modern version of an experience you used to enjoy a lot, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, back when you were younger and you played games that were, by today's standards, very antiquated. And I think there's a place for that. So many of my favorite games are games that people, like, objectively say are shit. I mean, literally, top three favorite games of all time, Sonic Unleashed, I don't care what anyone says. IGN trashed that game, gave it a 3 out of 10, and I will never forgive them for that because, not that it's the the number that matters, it's the fact that, forevermore that game is just held by the public as like oh yeah that shitty game that got like a two out of ten from ign and had that stupid like werewolf mechanic where you played god of war for half the game it's like oh that's just 
you're not doing that game justice because the highs of that game are so high and the lows of that game are not nearly as low as people make it out to be, but it's it's fun. And it and and one of the other fun things about this, more more importantly than anything else, is just knowing that you find something to connect with and enjoy with a game like this makes the game just that much more personal for you. Like it you just or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but like I'm playing Tron Evolution right now. The more and more I, I'm at the very end of it. And the game continues to get worse and worse as you progress through it. Difficulty spikes, just ridiculous encounters, insane repetitiveness, just super shitty platforming, like so many issues with this game. But I continue to be enamored with it because I'm nostalgic for this era of video gaming video games. I'm nostalgic for licensed movie tie-ins. I'm nostalgic for every game just trying to be a fun catch-all for like big industry trends but shoved into a budgety family-friendly digestible kids game and even though that it's good that we've moved away from these things in modern in with more modern games it's like i there's a part of me that's nostalgic for this and it feels comforting and, and just whatever knowing people didn't like this game that's their problem because i play it and i'm able to look past the flaws and find you know find a charm find acquaintance and find a kind of personal connection to it that just makes that just makes me admire and appreciate it all the more despite its many glaring flaws so cool thanks for writing in Corey. appreciate it and for all you out there please write in with your uh your favorite shitty game that you like no matter what other people say compassionate choice llc that means limited liability company so don't fucking sue this man guys says i hope everyone is having an awesome week and eating lots of fried chicken Compassionate choice, we can only hope. Keep playing games, everyone, even if it's Elden Ring. We love you, Dead Captain James. Compassionate choice, look at you. You're being compassionate. You made a choice to be compassionate and your limited liability company. Love you, man. Thanks for riding in. Thanks for spreading some positivity and love. And speaking of fried chicken, we got to talk about some fried chicken because E-Rock, Eric, I always say E-Rock because it's E. Eric Math writes in and says, True story, a Popeye's restaurant opened just yesterday for the first time in Halifax, where I live. The drive through line was so long, the local radio had to mention it in their traffic report. They sold out of food and had to close early, which caused people to exit their cars and walk up to the drive through window. The employees tried to give them biscuits so they would leave, but the people threw the biscuits at the employees. Anyway, people suck, and I'm going to wait a couple weeks before trying Popeye's for myself. Uh, this <laughs> story... If this story wasn't real, this would be completely funny for our, you know, for our amusement's sake. And, you know, a, a, shame, a shame to admit it, but it, it is still kind of funny. It's also incredibly disgusting and, sh- and shameful, obviously. There's no excuse for <laughs> taking it out on the poor employees of the, of the Popeyes for the fact that they ran out of food. That's absolute bullshit. But, uh, yes, good on you for not trying to put up with that shit and not trying to contribute to that and just being like, you know what, I'll come back later. It's funny, it seems like it's always Popeyes that's the victim of this kind of situation because, well, for you, this is, it looks like this is the first Popeyes even close to your area to open, so it's it seems like it's everyone in the area's first time getting to try Popeyes, but here, obviously, we've had Popeyes for basically, you know, forever, as long as I can remember. We had a similar instance a few years ago when Popeyes introduced their chicken sandwich, which I'm sure you may have even heard of because it was just all over the fucking internet. But uh, yeah, it, it was kind of like that. You know, people were lining up. I remember my girlfriend went to a Popeye's with her aunt around that time. And she, she was telling me about how like the line for the chicken sandwich wrapped around the store like multiple times. And just it was utter chaos. And they'd be selling out every day. And then they had to take it away for months before they could figure out the supply situation and how to meet the demand. And 
it was just a whole mess of a situation. So it seems like Popeye just consistently runs into this situation for, for whatever reason. And it's kind of inexcusable just because it's like you guys are such a big company. How are you How are you running into this? And, and, and the only reason why that matters is just for the sake of your staff. Like why would you – I don't know. Like if you know this is how people react when you open a new location or something like that, you, you would think it's like you would have the might and the supply and the backing of like multiple locations – for that opening period just to kind of support the store rather than be like, all right, new staff here, here are the keys to the store, make it happen. So whatever, uh, obviously it's a little bit of captain hindsight there, but it sucks to see that people are just continuously so shit to people who have no control over a situation. They're just the poor bastards that are uh, at the mercy of, of the customers. But Iraq, Eric, Mr. Math, when you get the chance to finally try Popeye's, please do me a favor let, let us know how it is, because I want I want to hear your take. Of course, Canadian Popeyes, I, I assume they probably don't use proper chicken meat, but that's fine. Maybe they can do enough of a good job masking the flavor of whatever rodent or bat they use to try and make it taste like chicken. I don't know. But uh, thank you for writing in. Thank you for the amusement, and hope you're having a great week. Now, Way of the Lao follows up with some uh, fast food-related content saying, Hello, Mr. DeRosa with two S's and no G. Sadly, the Popeye's chicken that was here closed down after two years. Let me stop for a second. Did we talk about Popeye's last week? Because we have multiple people writing about Popeye's or fried chicken. And I don't even remember what we said last week about Popeye's that this, that sparked this. But nonetheless, I'll allow it. Continuing on, Wei Lao says, Sadly, Popeye's chicken closed down here after two years, which is why I hope to move after college and travel to a magical place like that of Florida, but with less crocodiles, question mark. I'm not sure which one is there, and I'm listening to your podcast on my day off, so I'm being lazy and refuse to look it up on Google. You should be using Bing, of course. My good man, will we see a review of the famous McDonald's Szechuan sauce on your Twitch channel? Will it include chicken? Just some suggestions for the channel. Keep doing a great job, man. Take care and best wishes. Well, what it allow. Thank you for your kindness. Hope you're doing well as uh, also, my, my dude. A couple things, okay? I don't know how the fuck the Popeyes where you live closed down because every Popeyes around here, especially ever since they introduced the chicken sandwich, is like consistently popping, no pun intended. You know, not not Chick-fil-A busy, but they're they're busy. So that's, that's crazy to me to think that your Popeyes um, closed unless maybe you're living in a town with a population of like seven people. I, I don't know how that happens, but... I, I, I love that I love this idea that because Popeye's chicken closed where you live, you want to move to a magical place after college like Florida because Popeye's way Lau, as someone who originally comes from Atlanta, Georgia, I can tell you with with confidence Popeye's does exist outside of the central Florida area. There are plenty of places to get yourself some Popeye's. So if you are looking to avoid crocodiles, you can still come here to Florida. But you can also you can also go just about anywhere. I, I I'd venture to say at least in the U.S. there are probably more places with Popeyes than without at, at this point. So um, yeah, if you're worried about crocodiles, it, it's it's alligators here. Crocodiles are for the Australians. But um, yeah, we we have alligators and they are real. But I'll be I'll be honest, man. I was a little like a little excited when I moved here to be like, okay, it seems like Floridians all have stories about like the many. At times they come across random alligators just on the side of the road and shit. I gotta be honest, living where I live, I've, it's happened one time. I've seen it once. I was literally like jogging down the down the road. I was like jogging on the sidewalk. I was like a mile away from my apartment, and I got maybe maybe five yards away 
from a from a from a alligator before I looked up and realized, oh shit, that's a gator. Immediately just turned around and, and kept jogging back to my apartment. I was like, fuck off. And that was the one and only time I've ever come across a gator in an uncontrolled environment like that. But don't worry about it too much. It's not a big in Florida. The thing you got to look out more for than anything is uh, is actually not the wildlife. It's the people from New Jersey. But uh, yeah. <laughs> And then as for the McDonald's Szechuan sauce, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to review it on Twitch. Maybe we can do something on YouTube about it. But, um, yeah, maybe. I don't think I ever had it the last time they brought it back either. I, I just, uh, I don't know, man. McDonald's has good ranch. I just don't, that's like, that's that's their sauce. Like, get like a creamy ranch or a spicy ranch, garlic ranch. I don't really want Szechuan sauce. But if it will get us the views and the clicks, maybe we'll have to do just that. Way it allow. Zeke writes in and says, Jesus Christ, I love ketchup so much. Sarugi. I don't know if you're still there, but if you are, please ban this man. Let's talk about some Halo and some PlayStation Game Pass competitor shit. Jay writes in. You know Jay. He's Jay. From Jay's... From Jay's Jambalaya. (laughs) And Friends Company. Uh, Anyway, I'm enjoying the Halo Paramount Plus show, but spoilers, at the end of episode one, it was setting things up as though Master Chief was going to be the run... To be on the run and go rogue. Which I thought was an intriguing idea. However, in episode two, he simply visits his friend to check out the artifact and then heads back to the UNSC. And the script setup is his Spartan buddies in the and the script set up his Spartan buddies in a way that makes you think they're gonna have to hunt him down. And yes, I thought that would be super cool, but there's no conflict. Master Chief just returns. From a storytelling point, I thought that setup did not lead anywhere and was waste a wasted opportunity. Having said all this, future episodes may rectify this situation. And to change the subject, it was always on the cards that gold was going to disappear one day. Sony doing that, Sony doing what they're doing with their subscription is simply the impetus Xbox needs to work on a way of fading it out. Your other points regarding PS version of Game Pass, you nailed it. Well, thank you, Jay. I appreciate the kindness. Thank you for writing in. I appreciate your uh, interesting take on the Halo show, which I want to circle back to in a minute. Um, I will say, I I didn't actually realize this at first. It seems like PlayStation Plus is getting minimized a little bit with its free games because PlayStation, just like games with gold, used to do three or four games a month. But now with the new setup, you're only going to get two games a month. But they're still giving out free games each month. So they haven't completely done away with their thing, which, you know, I I think games with gold, I I think Xbox Live Gold will disappear. But I think the thing we're going to see leave, maybe in conjunction with Xbox Live Gold, or maybe first, is, is games with gold because... I mean, honestly, who gives a shit? With, with Game Pass and the value of Game Pass and the overwhelming amount of high-quality shit to play, who really cares about, like, the mediocre titles that we consistently get through Games of Gold? And clearly, it looks like PlayStation is slowly moving out, away from that as well. But um, as for your Halo comment, I, I love this. about I, I don't even know how my tiny brain didn't even put two and two together because you're absolutely right. They, they set up this whole Master Chief's going rogue. They're spending. They're, they're sending out his 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 old silver team friends to go and bring him back home. He ends up just going out, meeting up with an old friend, gaining some perspective, and then coming back home at the end of the day. And um, man, does does that does that story remind you of anything? <laughs> and, and I mean, you guys know I've said it a, a laughable number of times. I love Halo Five so much. Halo Five is such a good game to me. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are definitely opportunities to improve on the story in that game. But I think the campaign is incredibly fun, incredibly uh, well-crafted combat snares and level design and everything. I think the multiplayer is phenomenal. Top Halo 
quality multiplayer right up there with Halo 3. But yeah, they, it's, I'm, I'm so glad you made this point because now I can't help but feel like they literally made the Halo 5 mistake twice now. It took them, it took them like two episodes to make the same mistake in the show that Halo 5 made where it's like, yeah, yeah, hunt the truth, going rogue, Master Chief's disobeying orders, what's going to happen next? And then it's just like, eh, I'll, I'll come back home. I got out there, realized, eh, I don't really want to do this. I, I, don't, I don't really want to be that guy. I'll, I'll go back home. <laughs> they even, they literally send out his team to go get him. It's like Silver Team has to go get him, just like Osiris Team. It's a, it's a really, really apt comparison and really funny. And I, Jay, I don't, I, I can't, I can't imagine or I can't understand why um, you're the first person I've seen mention this. Like, well, I, I, it seems so obvious that people would draw the connection and then you'd see this all over the internet as a major complaint for the show. But no, I mean, nonetheless, I'm glad people aren't seeing it because that just means less complaining overall. But it is very, very funny that they inadvertently <laughs> managed to take a story, a setup, and a, and a disappointing lack of follow through on setup that happened in the games and basically just recreate that in the show, especially considering the fact that the. <laughs> Show creators said they didn't really use too much of the game as inspiration for the um, for the story of this show. They just coincidentally made the exact same mistake. So, dude, what is it about the character of Master Chief that just entices people to make him do this fake out of going rogue but not actually doing it? All right, Mr. Miggy <laughs> writes in and says, speaking of Halo, I watched episode one of the Halo TV series and good boy, very much enjoyed it. Didn't expect that kind of gore. My only complaint, which this isn't a spoiler, is that Master Chief and the helmet thing, not that it happened at all, but that it happened too early in the show's life, in my opinion. Also, Toyota finally made a car that I want and need, the GR Corolla, and it's not an April Fool's joke from them. I need to sell everything I own except a TV and an Xbox so I can save up to buy one. Lastly, I wanted to add, the most expensive PlayStation Plus tier is cheaper than Game Pass Ultimate. If you pay yearly, makes me wish that they had an option to pay yearly for a smaller fee with Game Pass. Mr. Miggy, great comment all around. I will say, just to close up on the Halo stuff, I, I don't mind how early they take off Master Chief's helmet in this in the story, um, which that isn't a spoiler because they basically just wanted to talk about that so much before the show even came out. M my complaint is is how much he has his helmet off and how he behaves sometimes with, with, his, with his energy and emotion level. And again, I'm open-minded to doing a different version of Master Chief, so I can get with the helmet off thing if you can just maintain chief's chiefness and the combination of ep in episode two where he doesn't have his helmet on and then he also gets really worried about what the artifact means and picks that guy up and shoves him against the cage and, and screams he says like what do you know or what what is it or something like that that part got me a little bit that was like that's my biggest gripe i've experienced with the show so far where i was like y you can do your own version of master chief but just know if you are going to take off chief's helmet and have him raise his voice and shout at someone in like a desk cry for control over a situation that scares him and worries him. I just want you to know that 100% betrays every fundamental aspect of Chief's character. Because the, the, the coolest thing about Chief is that he's always composed. Master Chief could be the most terrified person you've ever met in your entire life. But what makes him cool is you would never know it. Because he doesn't change tone. He doesn't change pitch. He doesn't show it at all. And not having a helmet on makes it visually apparent. And having him raise his, raise his voice and yell at a guy and pick him up and shake him also just really completely encapsulates a betrayal of Master Chief's character. And that 
to me, again, it's like you don't have to tell the exact same story as the games, but to some extent, Master Chief should probably be Master Chief. And I don't know, seeing Master Chief without a helmet on yelling at someone, especially the way he was yelling, which was it was literally a a, a yell out of fear and desperation and lack of control over a situation that worried him. And that's just not Master Chief. Master Chief's at, Master Chief's thing is something terrible is happening and everyone around me is freaking out but I'm going to act completely composed during this event, find a solution as unconventional as it may be and utilize a really a really narrow odd kind of circumstance to your advantage to overcome an obstacle. That's Master Chief. So I don't know, but whatever. Again, it's like whatever. Just let them tell their story. It doesn't take away from the fact that the Master Chief in the games is still pretty true to the character, so whatever. And then this this comment, honestly, Mr. Miggy, should have gone at the top of the show as a correction because I definitely didn't catch this, and you were definitely right to point this out. Game Pass is actually more expensive than the most expensive tier of PlayStation Plus. Uh, what is it? Essentials, Deluxe, and Premium and Deluxe, or whatever it's called. Whatever the most expensive tier is, Game Pass is still more expensive because you're right. Even though PlayStation's offering is more expensive month to month, you can buy a year membership for like $120 or something whereas on game pass you cannot buy it in any more than a three-month increment so game pass is more expensive because you have to pay month to month so that is my bad for not catching that good catch mr miggy and glad to see you are excited for the gr corolla personally i i still i still i still love the 86 and the brz i, I can't get over the brz especially that refresh model god damn dude the the brz quite literally in my opinion is the last Great, affordable, Japanese, driver-focused sports car. But um, the GR Crawl looks cool. I'm glad they're making it. I'm excited for people who are excited for it. People are fucking hyped for this thing. But man, that BRZ, I, every time I see it, it's like, the, it's like 90s, the 90s car market is still alive, you know, when you see it. Anyway, slide about video games again. Rounding out with the last two comments of the, of the week. My brother, Kronky, writes in and says, I suspect that Tango Gameworks and the news surrounding them this past week means Microsoft is planning on using some of these smaller studios to train new talent. I doubt Tango came up with the idea to turn themselves into this. And of course, he's referring to the whole Tango wanting to work on multiple projects, things that aren't even horror related necessarily, and to help cultivate new talent and focus on smaller teams to help invest in that talent rather than just one big team that works on AAA horror games and nothing else. Kronky continues on, in fact, now I'm wondering if that's the true story behind Grounded. Maybe Obsidian was rapidly expanding and they used that project to get new team, a new team some experience before Avowed and Outer Worlds 2 went into full development swing. Kronky, that is a, especially the part with Obsidian, I think that is an interesting observation and maybe there is some truth to that. I don't know that I would agree that that was their intention. Of course, neither of us know for certain, but I feel like that's more of a, a beneficial consequence of that decision and not so much the reason for why they, they're doing this. As for Tango Gameworks, I actually completely disagree with you. I, I, I think, as we've seen with the reporting coming from Undead Labs, as we've seen with what's going on with the initiative, as we've seen with everything with Halo Infinite and how it took a million years to make half a video game, I, I think it's quite clear that Microsoft really means it when they say we are giving these teams money and time and creative control to fuck off and do what they want and we're not impeding on them. And which is why I also fully believe Microsoft when they say in acquiring Activision, we don't want to turn them into Xbox studios. We want to continue to let them do their thing and to just be there as a resource and in a way to help them to accelerate into in fully, you know, do their thing and be themselves. Same thing with Bethesda. I, I believe that. 
because we're seeing from all these other studios that have been around longer in the Xbox ecosystem that there is so much creative freedom that in a lot of these studios cases it's it's almost to a negligent and detrimental point and so i don't know my guess is that if this is what tango gameworks wants to do it is more than anything because they probably want to take a remedy entertainment like approach of so you know investing in multiple smaller projects rather than making something like the evil within which is a game that did very well critically and sold very mediocre poorly commercially and so i i think maybe this is them saying we want to have multiple projects so we can invest in talent from the ground up on a more intimate level as well as have multiple irons in the fire um so that you know, not everything has to necessarily hit in, in, in the stakes are a little lower, which of course we know isn't so much an issue when you're an Xbox team because you're there to support Game Pass, not necessarily sell, sell millions and millions and millions of copies of a specific individual game. But still, I mean, as a studio, and I'm sure Xbox sells expectations for their studios, you don't want them just making anything and having it not necessarily stick or hit. You know, anecdotally, it seems like Ghostwire Tokyo, their new game that's exclusive right now to PC and PlayStation, seems like it's kind of getting a mixed bag of reception and sales are just whatever maybe they're really good we don't know yet but it hasn't seemed like the game is doing all that well we heard a lot more about how Deathloop was doing by this point in its release uh yeah, i think Tang- tingle knows that by by being a triple a horror developer you're really limiting yourself and it's hard for someone to really thrive in that in that position we really only see it happen with capcom and resident evil Otherwise, it's just really unheard of. Finally, let's round out with a, a comment. This is more of a plug than anything, so we'll make it quick. But uh, e- Erock Math also writes in, Eric, and says, What's up, Jesse? Haven't commented in a while, but I've still been listening most weeks. Do you still do Halo Infinite Nights on Twitch or in general? Always happy to get a squad going. Take care, bud. So, yeah, th- thank you for posing this because it allows me to plug myself. I don't know. Maybe I don't do enough uh, plugging in general, but yes, I still stream every single Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time, twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. I've been working on a new name that lightning extreme was a placeholder name. Still haven't come up with a good one, but I do have a working list of possible names. You guys let me know if you want to hear them, but yes, we stream every Monday night. We've mostly been playing halo infinite as of late because I've been on a big halo kick, but we don't exclusively play Halo. We play a lot of different things. We play Call of Duty Zombies, mod maps. We play Crossfire. We've played whatever random single-player game I'm working on at the time, which has been a whole multitude of games. We've played a lot of different things. Um, but we're always over there goofing off, having a good time, saying stupid shit, getting frustrated at the skill-based matchmaking on Halo Infinite. So anytime you want to drop by, we're happy to have you. We're happy to have any one of you there, of course. Why would I tell you I don't want you there? Of course, I'm trying to grow my brand. I don't give a shit about you guys. I just want to become rich and famous like PewDiePie. You fucking idiots. Ha ha ha. I don't even own an Xbox. I just want you guys all to subscribe and make me famous, you fucking idiots. Ha ha ha. That's going to do it for this week's comments. Eric, have a great day. Everyone have a great day. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for commenting. And remember for the next week, don't be shy. Reply and subscribe and hit that like button. And guys, if you like this week's episode so much so far, leave a comment and let me know what your favorite part was. Now, next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And this this is unprecedented. 148 episodes in, and I actually don't have a specific food to talk about this week for the what I've been eating. And you might be gasping. You might be saying, oh, thank God. Who knows? But guys, this is a food-related question I want to pose to you, but it's not about what I've been eating. I I had two instances just coincidentally this week where someone said to me two separate random occasions and I'll just I'll just take this 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 out of context where someone asked me different person each time yeah dude it's good would you like to try a sip I don't backwash 
And so today I was thinking about it and I was so, I was so made uncomfortable by, by the question that I tweeted about it today just to kind of gauge response and see where people fall in it. I, I got to talk about this because it, it's really weighing on me. But guys, I do not trust, simply, simply put, I do not trust a person's logic if they truly believe that it is possible to drink and not backwash. I'm trying to think about this because I just don't understand. Like, there's one example of how you can drink and not backwash. First of all, straws entirely off the table. Don't even fucking talk to me about straws. Straws are not an option. If you have like, say a water bottle and you literally open your mouth, tilt your head back, pour the water bottle into your mouth without the bottle touching your lips or your mouth in any capacity, and then pull the water back, then close your mouth, put your head back up and then swallow. Yes, that is not backwash because the bottle isn't even touching your body. The only part of your body touching the bottle is your hand holding the bottle. Yes, that is not backwash. I'm so tired of people who act like they have some fucking radioactive spider-related superpower to not have their saliva mix with the fluid, with the liquid, whatever the fuck they're drinking, of their cup, of their bottle, of their tumbler, whatever the fuck it is they're drinking out of. Let me say this once and listen well. You cannot avoid backwash if you are putting your mouth on the goddamn cup you are drinking from because the liquid comes up it touches your lips and your mouth and you drink and you might think, well, I drink, I cut it off. I cut off the liquid and drink and swallow before I tilt the cup back down. So none of it flows back into the cup. Listen, just by way of making contact with your lips and your mouth in any capacity, it is transferring liquid from the bottle and saliva from your mouth and making it run together. And because it is liquid particles, you cannot just separate them on command again, unless you have some radioactive spider bite that lets you do such. It's not how this works scientifically, and I tried to explain to my manager, and this isn't a great, this isn't a great uh, analogy. I'm just not great with analogies in general, but just hear me out. You take a shower, you get out of the shower, you do not grab a towel and dry off. You are soaking wet from a shower. You immediately run and jump into the ocean. Did your shower water that is all over you because you're drenched get into the ocean? And did your ocean water that is now all over you mix with your bath water? And now are you now completely contaminated with both? And have you contaminated the ocean with your bath water, your shower water? Yes. Even if you just jump in, jump out real fast. It doesn't fucking matter. The second you and your wetness from the shower make content with the... Why am I even saying this? Why is this so hard for people to understand? It's a terrible analogy. But the point doesn't even have to be made because it's just such common sense. You cannot put your mouth on a drink and take a sip. Especially not a fucking straw where it sucks half the shit back out of your mouth. You cannot properly do this without backwashing. So... I appreciate the offer to let me try a sip. But no, this is even before COVID. I've always been a germphobe and I don't fucking share drinks. I don't even mostly feel comfortable sharing drinks with my own family or my girlfriend. I don't share drinks and I don't want to sip. I don't care how tasty it is. I don't care if I'm in the fucking Sahara Desert dying. You backwashed. Stop lying. All right. Now that's what I've been eating, I guess, <laughs> is backwash. But guys, let's try, let's de-escalate the situation and try to bring it back to the, what I've been playing, which is the more tame segment of the two. Now, guys, I, I yeah, I, I, dude, I have no excuse at this point. I, I, like, my, my life is the same as it's been for a while now, these past few weeks, but for whatever reason, I have not been able to find adequate gaming time. Like, I'm still doing the same shit I do every week, but for whatever reason, the past few weeks, it just, last week was better than this past week, but... Yeah, so I've, I've been playing Halo. I'm trying to get to 100 on the Battle Pass. I'm almost there. I'm well into the 80s. But I'm working on that. And I'm still dabbling a little bit in Devastator, which I had more time for it, but I don't. And then Tron Evolution. Well, the problem is I was going to beat it on Xbox, 
But at the same time, I did that fucking thing I do where I'm like, oh, I'm in the mood for this thing. I'm in like a Tron mood. So I, I rewatched the TV show and I rewatched both the movies and I've replayed the game. But I also bought the game on the Wii and the DS and the PSP because for some fucking reason, I had to have all the versions because Tron Evolution is back from that era in video games where it's like seven versions of the game have to come out for all the platforms on the same day. So it's like, this team made the Xbox and PlayStation version. This studio made the Wii version. This studio made the PSP version. This studio made the DS version. And so they're all very different games. And so, yeah, now I have Tron Evolution on Nintendo Wii, Xbox 360, PlayStation Portable, and Nintendo DS. Fuck me. I don't know what's wrong with me. Please, you can send Anthrax to my house if you, if you want to punish me. I don't know. But instead of actually just finishing the last two hours of Tron Evolution on Xbox like I was going to, I got to the last hour of the game and then also started a save file on the PSP version, and then also started a save file on the DS version. I haven't started the Wii version, but I've never played those versions. I've only ever played the Xbox version, so this is new for me. I'm playing on PSP, I'm playing on DS. It's a completely different game, different characters, different gameplay style, different story, all different. So I don't regret it because it just to me it just feels like I have 4,000 new Tron games to play. But, like, I don't understand what's wrong with me that this happened, but I'm not just finishing through with this one game. I'm just dabbling in seven different versions of it. I'm probably the first and only person in the entire universe to own this game on all these platforms. But uh, Halo, Tron, and Devastator. There's a theme here. It's all sci-fi, space, futuristic, techie, shootery action shit. I love this stuff. Fucking love this stuff. You guys, take your stupid knights and elves and dragons and Elden Ring. Go fucking frolic in the in the grasslands of, of of whatever goddamn european country you want pick your four-leaf clovers and your moss and 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 talk about whatever the fuck it is you goddamn shakespearean poets i'm going to focus my nerd culture time on sci-fi and guns and tech and neon lights and explosions and electronic sounds and and, da- and dance music and fucking what what what, what, what do you want to call it? like electronic music dub not dubstep daft punk why the fuck would I say dubstep guys it's so cool Disney get your shit together finish that Tron roller coaster I'm ready to ride it okay guys that's gonna do it for this uh, first half of the show that's gone on for five hours now let's uh slow our roll and jump into the news get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast thank you see you on the other side. All right, welcome back. So we have a uh, eight stories to get through today. So uh, hey, strap on in. We're gonna we're gonna go in fast and furious. So first, let's talk about the Activision Xbox merger. This is actually one of the most substantial stories we've seen on this in the past few months since since the news broke. So let's jump right in. As relayed from VGC, four U.S. senators have written to the Federal Trade Commission to express their concern over the proposed merger between Microsoft and Activision. The deal announced back in January, which would allow Xbox to purchase Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, would give Microsoft exclusive ownership of franchises like COD, Warcraft, Overwatch, Crash Bandicoot, and Guitar Hero. The FTC is handling the antitrust uh, review of the deal to determine whether or not the takeover constitutes as unfair competition, which is, of course, what they have to do. It's normal whole part of the process. But this past Thursday, last week, U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Sheldon Whitehouse, and Cory Booker sent a letter to the FTC chairwoman, Lena Khan, expressing their concern over the deal as it, quote, over that the deal, quote, threatens worker-led demands for accountability, end quote, over allegations of sexual misconduct and discrimination at Activision Blizzard. Quote, the proposed merger has already impeded unionization's efforts and undermined the workers' call for accountability. Over 1,800 Activision Blizzard employees signed a letter to call on Mr. Kodak to step down from the organization, one of the union organizers' key demands. 
Quote, however, Microsoft's proposed deal with Activision Blizzard is protecting Mr. Kodak from keeping himself in the role of CEO till at least 2023 and guaranteeing him hundreds of millions of dollars in profit and a potential additional golden parachute worth of $14.5 million if he does not step down voluntarily. Quote, the lack of accountability despite shareholders, employees, and public calling for Kodak to be held responsible would be an unacceptable result of the proposed Microsoft acquisition. End quote. In response to Activision, spokeswoman told the uh, sorry, in response, an Activision spokeswoman told the Wall Street Journal that no additional special compensation arrangements were made for Kodak in connection with the deal. Quote, this is a compelling transaction for all stakeholders, including employees, she said. Bullshit. And the subject of a workplace culture improvements, Microsoft corporate VP of general counsel Liz Tanzi told the uh, Wall Street Journal, quote, we believe Activision Blizzard will continue to make progress and we're committed to further progress after the deal closes. So, First of all, bullshit. The the quote from the Activision uh, spokeswoman speaking to Wall Street Journal, total bullshit. We know for 100% fact, based on all the reporting that's been done over the past few months, is Bobby Kodak is absolutely getting the easy way out. Basically, the plan is he just kind of keeps the boat. He just kind of keeps things going steady for the next year while all this shit gets reviewed and passes and the acquisition finalizes. And then he's out with uh, basically a shit ton of money and and. and Let's just clear up the confusion. This spokeswoman says no additional compensation arrangements have been made for Kodak in connection with Microsoft. What what we're talking about is in order for Kodak to get out of Activision altogether because he's the largest shareholder of the company. He owns like nearly half of Activision, I I believe it is. He's going to have to, once he steps down and retires and leaves the company, he's going to have to sell his shares back. And selling his shares is going to make him, I, I would say filthy fucking rich, but he's already filthy fucking rich. And on top of that, stock prices for Activision are going to skyrocket right now, or once that happens, because once the deal is finalized, that's when people are going to be like, all right, the deal is solid. Now that they're under Xbox, this is all good. This is this is green. Go buy, buy Activision, buy, 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 buy. And stock prices are going to go up, and that's going to be the same time Bobby Kodak is forced to leave and sell his shares back to the company, and he's going to make only more money through doing all that. So enforce him to go out this way, yeah, it's basically a golden parachute. It in in. And more important than the money at this point, it's also because it's about the principle. It's, it's one as cliche as it sounds. It's about the principle of the matter. Of course, we we talked about all this part of the story multiple times, right? It's the fact that you're allowing him off easy this way. Like this man should be pushed out just as quick as Disney put out. You know, think, think about it like this: what, 2018, 2019 was Disney outed James Gunn from directing the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie over a fucking tweet from like 15 years prior, faster than, or from 10 years prior, faster than Microsoft is going to out Bobby Kotick from Activision as part of this deal. And the difference is James Gunn is an innocent person who quoted, who had some stupid tweets from a long time ago that were in poor taste, that ex- that existed publicly and in perpetuity for all to see for a long ass time before people just decide to get upset over for nothing whereas this is a objectively evil man who's done terrible things and covered terrible things and protected terrible people and lied repeatedly and ad nauseum and put his employees in harm's way and withheld opportunity from them and and harmed their development and their growth and their trust and believability in their own corporation their own company this is this man now being protected so like just obviously you know whatever different companies different situations but like let that sink in for a second the fact that we can exist in a world where 
someone like James Gunn can be a stupid young adult and tweet something stupid that we should all look at and be like, eh, that's, that's kind of a dumb tweet, man. Maybe maybe you, maybe you shouldn't talk like that now that you're older. And, and he probably looks back and goes, yeah, that was a dumb tweet. I'm glad I grew past that part of my life where I thought that kind of thing was funny, right? That is a fireable offense. But, um, you know, Bobby Kotick doing all this shit. Shareholders are like, yeah, yeah, he told that girl to kill herself. You cover that guy, you like rape that girl. But, you know, like, eh, you make us a lot of money. So maybe, you know, you stick around until Microsoft's officially in the game and then you're good. So the big thing here is, and that's just huge, whatever. That's a huge distraction from what I'm trying to talk about in the, in the real bulk of the story, which is that these U.S. senators are expressing a concern that I think is deeply valid, especially considering what we're talking about with other issues at other Microsoft Studios right now, which is that the cries and concerns and pleads of these people who work for various Activision and Blizzard teams are not being heard, are not being respected, and are not being honored by being like, yeah, yeah, shut up, shut up, shut up. We're going to buy Activision and then Bobby will be gone. And then, you know, we're going to try so hard to fix the culture. It's like, can you imagine what it's like being an employee? I understand. The reports, the stories show that, in general, Activision employees are feeling optimistic about the future of the company with Microsoft at the helm instead of Bobby. I get that. But can you imagine what it's like to think about, like, I'm being told the man responsible for the corruption and the scandals and the bullshit who held no one accountable and let this shit happen and even contributed to it is not being held accountable, but rather being given the easy way out while another company buys us out, tells us to basically shut the fuck up and hold on, and then promises after all that complicated businessy behind closed doors, you know, suit and tie kind of shit is handled and finalized and, and the ink dries. Only once that all is done, you know, we're, you know, we're going to care about taking care of you guys and, and fixing the cultural issues and, and making sure we, we hear all the stories and audit all the, all the, the different teams and make sure that every team is being operated in a ethical and ethical and fair way and that people are held accountable and all these things. It's like, dude, that is just a bigger company buying a big company and then promising shit and offering lip service while behind the scenes, we're seeing other Microsoft studios being operated and held like shit. We're seeing the stuff with Halo Infinite where it's like, yeah, the game, you know, the, these developers couldn't fucking get the game together in time because more than half the team was contract workers and they wouldn't hire full-time people and it took the game way too fucking long and Microsoft was too hands-off with it and they were too much like, we need this, but we're not willing to invest in this thing. And we're seeing the initiative where it's like they got the best talent to build the best potential studio and then completely squandered the fucking opportunity by being like, eh, we, we don't know how to run this. We're not going to be hands-on with it. And we're seeing about this Undead Lab stuff where, yeah, Kotaku's trying to spin it about, like, they're so sexist and homophobic. It's like, I, that may or may not be true. We don't know because Kotaku couldn't fucking offer any actual compelling evidence. But what Kotaku's piece does show us is that there are a lot of people pissed off at this studio because they feel like upper management doesn't see them and doesn't properly do their part in representing them and managing them and keeping a close eye on what the higher ups are doing and how they're handling things internally within the studio. And it's like, Hmm. So you're telling me instead of addressing all those teams, which already exist under Xbox, we're just going to go buy one of the biggest publishers in the games industry and then somehow fix their problems too. When we can't even fix our own. 
And so this concern from multiple U.S. senators is a completely valid one, which is like, yeah, this deal is all about making money and growing bigger. And we have to see, you know, is this is this unfair? Is this anti-competitive because they own two, you know, what I forget what they call it. Not a vertical monopoly, but um, whatever. The monopoly in which every step along the way of the process from incubation to development to publishing to production, everything Microsoft has their hand in some step because they just own so many teams and so many aspects of the pipeline. And they have to they have to ask themselves, is that what's going on here? But upon further investigation, what, what they're finding is <laughs> this whole deal is basically just undermining the issues and the woes of this company and of these teams because it's all about making a transactional deal at the end of the day and not about anything else. And, I, and I'm sorry, I'm just I'm I'm tired of seeing Xbox fans just kind of ignore this and just defend Phil Spencer and defend Xbox because they're the cool brand, they're really pro-consumer, and they're really good with the messaging right now. And it's like, yeah, all those things are true, but dude, like, don't fucking drink the Kool-Aid. Like, Xbox is great, and we all love Xbox, but, like, hold them accountable where they need to be held accountable. This deal is not all that it's cracked up to be. And, and the more and more time passes, the more I'm... Personally, I'm honestly really frustrated with Phil because we can go back and forth and speculate on whether or not... Phil Spencer is sometimes speaking on both sides of his mouth, or if he's just a little in over his head, or if he's just hard having a hard time articulating and nuancing himself to where it seems like he's contradicting himself. We can try to give him the benefit of the doubt all the time when it comes to video games and promises of game releases and announcements and things coming and going and innovation, all that, because that stuff doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that's just entertainment, that's just video games. But one thing we can't just gloss over and just give him a pat on the back and a pass for and say, oh, Phil, we love you, is the fact that the dude literally said in response to all this Activision scandal bullshit last year, yeah, we are closely evaluating our relationship with Activision, and we're we're not happy with what we're seeing, with what's happening with these developers and these teams that work and represent Activision. We're reevaluating our relationship. And then one fucking week later, the dude's like, yo, we bought Activision. Remember those guys that are like super fucked culturally and like everyone hates them and they're like doing all this fucked shit and it's completely corrupt and broken? We bought them. They're part of our team now. Yay. Everybody clap for the green team. It's like, dude, I I had a fucking 12 pack of Pepsi Zero Sugar that lasted longer than the amount of time it took Phil Spencer to contradict himself with that statement. It's like, fuck, man. That's so fucked. That's so fucked. In a way, like trying to condemn while also not really saying much of anything and then on the, on the other hand completely feeding into the problem and supporting it by buying into it and again they can say yeah well we we're also concerned about the issues at activision blizzard and we want to we want to help fight against this but it's like dude they, i mean yeah until they prove otherwise it seems like they're struggling a little bit with their own teams with just managing them in terms of like getting the production pipeline filled and keeping developers and big figureheads within these companies happy and within all all these different verticals and yet now they're about to take on a series of the most as far as the public's knowledge is concerned the most troubled set of development studios in the industry and we're just supposed to be like game pass gets call of duty yay we win fuck you playstation i don't know man i i will say it it looks like more and more i, I still am confident this deal will go through I am still confident that Xbox will own Activision sometime within the next 12 months, but I am becoming more and more like alerted to the fact that Microsoft's facing a little more scrutiny than I think they thought they would, than I think most of us thought they would. And 
you know, even if it ultimately ends up, whatever, they bought Activision, it is what it is. I'm glad to see that this isn't just running through the paces and the steps of the process with absolute ease and, and just blazing straight through from let's shake hands and make a deal to let's sign documents and make it official. I'm glad that there are at least people asking questions and raising awareness and raising an eyebrow and saying, what the hell's going on here? Or wait, isn't there something to be concerned about? I'm, I'm glad that people are at least thinking and talking. Even if it doesn't result in anything, just because this is all fishy and kind of shitty and I don't love it still to this day after, you know, two, three months of this of this news being out there and allowing for us to digest and, and, and think about. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see people at least questioning and, and raising awareness to just the kind of fucked nature of this all. I I, nah, I have nothing more to add to it. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a massive drop off in listenership this week once this story, once we get into this story, just because I, I know... A majority of Xbox fans don't want to fucking hear it. I know it's like, dude, shut up. This is great for us. This is great for Game Pass. I just I just don't. As someone who loves Xbox and video games enough to sacrifice a massive amount of time of my personal time every week to doing this podcast, I love not this way more than video games. I love making sure that we don't consolidate the fuck out of the market and that we don't let massive companies buy out other massive companies and then wash out big concerns and big scandals and big issues because money. I don't love that. Or rather, I don't love video games and Xbox podcasts and community and Game Pass over PlayStation and fuck you, other competitor brand. I don't love any of that more than just the fucking humanity of the situation that these teams at, at, at Activision face. And I just continue to be just really disenfranchised and just displeased with the whole, make no mistake, Bethesda was a really, really smart buy for Xbox. It was a really good buy. But I'll, I'll always say this for, you know, until until we get to the point where Disney owns 99% of the world and Xbox or Microsoft owns the other 1%, I'm going to stand by it. Microsoft buying Bethesda made so much sense, just like Disney buying Pixar. It was like, we will reach a point in history where people will be like, I didn't even know Xbox or Bethesda wasn't always Xbox because it just makes so much sense. People can't differentiate fucking Pixar from Disney because it just makes so much sense. Activision is like when Disney bought Fox and fucking got Simpsons and National Geographic and all this fucking bloat, this absolute horse shit that is so antithetical to Disney and their brand and everything they fucking built up for decades and decades and decades. Activision is 100% that for Xbox. And I... I, I God, like I just get so it matters so much more to just keep your brand nimble and protect the identity and work on what you've built, even if it means you grow slower and you're less interesting by the eye in the eyes of others, because that brand and that quality and that community you built matters so much more and bringing Activision and all the bullshit that comes with it completely waters down and undermines everything that makes Xbox special. And it will always be true. That will always be true. I don't care. Don't care the one fucking bit about what this means for Game Pass. This is always, in my opinion, going to be viewed as a bad move. Maybe we'll reach a day where we don't think about it a lot. We don't care about it a lot. That's great. But this is historically, for me, always going to be looked at as a really fucking shitty thing that happened in the history of Xbox. Always got to give PlayStation credit. Even though they're, they're wavering just a little bit, it seems almost as like a reaction to all these acquisitions from Microsoft. But... Got to give PlayStation credit 
one thing they're so much better about X than Xbox at doing, and one thing they just seemingly will always be better than Xbox at, is understanding the quality of that brand. Don't just buy shit to buy shit. Don't just work with people to work with people. Really make sure that the relationships you cultivate, the brands you identify with, the other companies you work together with are complementary and in line with your brand and your company and what you built. Because otherwise, your name means fucking nothing. Because I laugh when I think about how, for some goddamn reason, Mickey Mouse, Pluto, Donald, and Goofy are equivalent to fucking Homer Simpson and a cheetah from National Geographic. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? We're so far removed from the story. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll, mo- I'll move on. I, I, <laughs> I know everyone's listening to fucking podcasts unlocked now. Like, unsubscribe. Fuck you, Xbox on. Yeah, whatever. Bill me for your emotional trauma from my stupidity. Uh, our next story that has me a whole lot less heated and we'll get through so much faster. Also from VGC, because apparently my internet only gives me access to one website now. A member of the Halo Infinite development team has acknowledged the game's com- the gaming community, sorry, the game's community is out of patience at the studio's per- perceived lack of activity and communication. Community director Brian Sketch Jared posted a reply to Reddit users who said that they wish 343 would acknowledge that there have been issues that have delayed the progress on the new features of the game. Quote, there are indeed a lot of challenges and constraints, Jared responded. We're certainly not happy to be unable to meet player and community expectations. It's a difficult situation, and we're going to take the time to work through it. Right now, the focus is on Season 2, and we'll have more to share in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, a lot of production plans, costing, planning, hiring, etc., it all happens, which doesn't really lend to detailed regular updates. We understand that the community is simply out of the patience and, frankly, I think understandably tired of words. We just need some time for the team to get a detail, the details sorted out, and we can certainly share as much as we can. End quote. The response that... The response to Jared's reply were mainly negative, and some of the responding that they requested to give the team more time to sort the non-committal messaging that they had issues with. Quote, no offense, but how does your studio and hundreds of developers struggle to put out new maps, new modes, and cosmetics, one user asked. Quote, I'm sorry, but what's going on, asked another. How do you take five, get five months past launch, and there's still things like hiring and planning phase? Am I correctly reading this? Et cetera, et cetera. Many comments go on and on like that. Halo Infinite's multiplayer launched last December without a Forge mode the popular game mode that allows players to create their own maps and types. This was expected as the delay was announced last summer, but a further delay for the feature was later confirmed when 343 extended Halo Infinite's Season 1, originally which was expected to conclude earlier this year until May 2022, which is now the new end date now. I, uh, yeah, I really, I, I should be, I, the last story was just me ranting and pissing people off and just being overly negative. Let me say, in 343's defense, I greatly feel for the more permanent and rep- community representative type figures of of three four three, like like Sketch, the community director, because um, here's the thing: is to be in a role like Sketches, you have to love Halo so much, you have to love your job so much. And I think the main core team, the team that have been at three four three for a long time, the team that have been communicating this whole time and have been full-time and had the privilege of being able to stay on the fucking team and not be contract work and be a permanent halo uh team member in 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 this capacity i i feel for them because in order for you to be a person like that you have to love what you're doing and you have to want the best for your game in this And, and like obviously like no one makes a game and hopes boy i hope it you know i hope it sucks and that everyone sorry it's gerard i always call him jared it's gerard um but anyway no one hopes hey, man, I really hope people hate this game and they give a shit and they tell us we're the worst, you know? Like, of course not. And so to have to be the guy, you know, someone like like Sketch, 
who is an intermediary where you understand the reasons behind the scenes why things are gunked up and not happening the way obviously you and the team want them to happen and then also have to be in communication with the community and and be that voice of like here's what I can tell you here's the situation it fucking sucks it's like it's like anyone who's ever worked a customer service job it's like you know behind the scenes the reason why your company has a policy or a rule or something that really sucks, that really fucks over the customer, that really makes customers mad at you. But you're just the in-between guy who's got to be the one to back that stupid policy, go to the customer, upset them, frustrate them, break their hearts, disappoint them, tell them the thing they don't want to hear, and then take their backlash aimed at you even when the real frustration is about something that is out of your control, something you can't do anything about for a number of external factors. That's what I pull from this shit more than anything is obviously 343 have wildly mismanaged Halo Infinite. But I don't say that meaning 343 and only 343 fucked it up, fuck 343. I mean that as 343 fucked it up and with our limited understanding as players and users and not creators and people who worked on this shit, excuse my Tron terms, we, uh, we don't know what potential things happen from Microsoft on a higher level that trickled down and fucked over 343, right? We don't know. Maybe it is all 343's fault. Maybe it is all their original multiplayer director's fault. Who knows? Maybe it's someone higher up's fault. Maybe someone higher up at Xbox said, hey, we need to rely mostly on contract work. And that fucked up the whole development cycle and they couldn't get people in a permanent capacity because just as people would finally get used to their role in the studio, their contract was up and now it was on to the next round of contract workers and all these things. Who knows the ways in which the pandemic and the contract workers and all the various obstacles that they face, the ones we do and don't know, how it all affected the game and made it the way it is. You know, maybe the terrible, terrible progression system, the terrible skill-based matchmaking, the miserable unlock system that is not fun, and the cosmetics that are so uninspired that I don't even give a shit what I'm unlocking. I just want to progress in the battle pass just to say I did it. Who knows if that was 343's fault or maybe top-down. Market research suggests that people need this kind of unlock system, and people in skill-based matchmaking retains player uh, counts this much and all this shit. And maybe this game wasn't the result of Maybe it's 50% passion from the developers and taking feedback from the community and also 50% statistics and market research and shit being shoved down their throats from higher up and the company saying, this is our key franchise. We've got to get it right. These are the things we need to have to be, you know, our marquee franchise. And I feel like Halo Infinite really screams that from top to bottom when you play it. I, I feel like we, even from like the UI and the menu design, everything about Halo Infinite, you know, say what you want about like, Oh, well, they went back to the Halo 3 art style or the Halo Reach art style. So it's Halo again. It's Bungie's Halo again. Like, I would argue Halos 4 and 5 have way more of a of a soulful feel to them because those games feel like 343 were given creative control and all the resources to make the game they wanted to make, whether you liked it or not. Whereas Halo Infinite feels like kind of just what I said. It, it feels like one part the team's desire for a new Halo game, one part this this having to bend the knee and cuckold to your community that gets to dictate everything because if you don't make exactly the game they want to play, then you're shit and you should go die, which is how the community treats you. And then also equal part what you know the higher-ups want. You know, this is Halo. We can't fuck up Halo. We got to get it right this time. This is what we need. This is what research shows is that this is popular. This is how you do progression. This is how you do player... Um, this is how you do matchmaking. This is how you do player progression and unlocks and all these things. And Halo Infinite, at the end of the day, feels like this: these three things constantly 
butting up against each other because you get this really awesome campaign that's super fun, really awesome sandbox, really cool story, but also the story kind of contradicts the thing they were building before and betrays Halo 5, but also the multiplayer is so fun, but it feels like there's just way too much of this like microtransaction, shitty progression system, skill-based matchmaking, competitive, sweaty, miserable experience overshadowing this otherwise really fun multiplayer experience that doesn't make it fun and then there's this art style that completely contradicts everything they built before it but you had to do it because you had to make Halo fans happy and then there's all this unexplained forerunner shit that's just missing because again you have to make or Promethean shit rather because you just gotta make fans happy and dude like honestly it's like I I worry about some of the people that work at 343 like if, if this keeps up and I don't mean to like give total slack because it's unfair that people have invested money and time into this game and they're not getting what they were promised. Like, that's a serious issue. But if we continue on this trajectory and this trend of, like, 343 can't do anything right, you are going to drive any semblance of good talent out of this studio. And it is just a really tricky situation, I feel like, over there, where every, you know, they're up against a wall and any direction they turn in, they're kind of fucked. And unfortunately, the only thing that can fix this right now, you know, the only thing we can do as a community to fix this is just kind of give them time. Like, feedback is important. Don't get me wrong. Feedback is so important. But you think at this point, 343 knows what people are upset about? I I I think so. I don't think they need the 8 millionth person to tell them, fuck you, where's Forge? We need more playable maps. We need more modes. We need more guns. And of course, I'm very guilty of being one of these voices who, who just bitches and moans about this stuff. But like, you think 343 needs to know that at this point? Like, they, they know that. So at this point, it, it's got to be something out of their control is my only thought. And I just, I kind of feel for them because if, if you're someone like Sketch who who's just so happy to be a part of this community and to represent this brand and to be in the position you're in, it's got to suck to be on this emotional roller coaster of like, we show off the game, people are excited. Then we, a few years later, we showed the gameplay and people were really disappointed. Then we got the delay and people were like, okay. And then we show off the game again and people were really excited. Then we did the beta and people were really excited. Then we released the game and people were like, eh, it's really good for a minute and then everyone hated it. And then we tried to deliver more content in season one and everyone hated it more. And then this content got delayed because of other factors and people hate us more. It's just this constant up and down super up, super down emotional experience that I, I don't envy because there's, you know, at this point, 343 knows what's wrong with the game. Clearly, these are serious, deep-rooted issues that we are not aware of. It, it cannot be just as simple as like, 343 suck at developing a game. It's like, guys, there's, there's, we're waiting on the Kotaku, you know, like Kotaku, you want to be fucking real video game journalists? Go find out what the fuck's happening at 343. Can you go figure out why the hell this team is so despite being funded by the, one of the biggest companies of all fucking human existence, why they can't figure this shit out, why they can't get content out the door. You want to go do the investigative journalism and figure out what's going on there? Because if anything, like that's the problem is there's a huge disconnect with what's actually going on behind the scenes and what the audience knows. And at this point we've gone just back and forth for so long about what's wrong with halo, what they need to fix, what they could have done better. It's easy to just blue sky and brainstorm all day. But I think 343 knows what the problem is. And I think at this point, <laughs> just constantly online harassing these people is not, I don't I don't think it's going to lead to positive results. There's such a thing as too much, you know, constructive feedback maybe in, in this case. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. Maybe that's not a popular take, but I, I know they know what needs to be done. And the fact that we're not there yet tells me that there are factors outside of their control which are leading to this, so. All right, let's move at a faster clip because we're kind of stalling on these uh, stories. Sorry, guys. I don't mean to 
make this a five-hour episode. Next up, actually, perfect story, because I don't give a shit about this story, and there's not much to say, but Windows Central relays that E3 2022 has officially been canceled, or rather, reportedly been canceled. It's not official, so... I'm already getting the story wrong. Numerous media sources have stated that the ESA has failed to put together an online-only or in, uh, in-person event this time. Uh, the news broke when Will Powers on Twitter, who indicated that he'd only received an email saying E3 2022 is officially canceled. From there, Jeff Keighley, host of the Game Awards, Summer Game Fest, and opening night live at Gamescom, proceeded to seemingly confirm the news that with it with a single emoji response this was in turn followed shortly by confirmation that summer games fest would proceed being held in june of this year according to a report from ign the esa intends to regroup and are attempting to hold an event next year in 2023 now months ago the esa confirmed that there would be no physical e3 event this year and say the reason being over the spread of the omicron variant but now with covid mostly just not being a thing anymore and, uh, you know, with an online event not coming to fruition, seemingly, it seems like there are other reasons as to why this is happening. Now, the ESA released a statement saying, we remain incredibly excited about the future of E3. Look forward to announcing more details soon. No follow-up information was even giving the, given after that or what a public, and no public information was ever given as to what uh, E3 Digital 2022 event could have even looked like. Gamesbeat reporter Jeff Grubb noted via Twitter that the main reason for this turn of events appears to be that everyone is going with Jeff Keighley instead because he's actually uh, competent. So after this news story, basically the ESA uh, responded by saying, hey guys, just to confirm, E3 will be back in 2023. So what this does is basically confirms, yeah, E3 in all forms and facets is is not happening this year. But what I want to focus on is because we talked about the ESA is falling into obscurity. They're less and less relevant, less and less important. A lot of these publishers are starting to catch wind of like, hey, we can have our own event anytime we want and that we can better control the message, better hog the spotlight when we want it. And also only have to focus on things we need to talk about and not just content for the sake of content. I'm looking at you, EA and Ubisoft with your terrible press events. So I, I think we've seen a lot of that. We've talked a lot about that over these past few years during COVID. But what I want to talk about here is, is the big thing, which is that Jeff Keighley, who actually used to work with the ESA and used to be a ho- an E3 host, has, you know, he had a falling out or a split off from the ESA and with E3 a while back, a long time ago, actually. And, uh, you know, got really well known for his project, the Game Awards, which is considered to be basically the Oscars of the games industry at this point. It's pretty big event that's watched by millions and millions of people, crazy numbers of people per- um, tune in for that show every year. He, he's also making a lot of leeway with this new show he does every summer, seemingly, which is this uh, Summer Games Fest, which he did last year. Basically an E3-esque digital replacement. And according to this reporting, it seems like a lot of publishers and developers want to work with Keeley on this event. And I can't blame them because even before COVID, you know, the ESA and E3 were only falling into, not obscurity, but were only decreasing more and more in attendance and in relevancy. And then you see, conversely to that, or, or in comparison to that, the Game Awards every December has only been growing and growing exponentially. And when you look at that, and you're a publisher or a developer trying to get news out and trying to get um, trying to get publicity on your product that you're trying to announce, you go with the thing that gets the views. And it looks like E3 is out, and Summer Game Fest is what's which grab an attention. And so, yeah, maybe the ESA will come back next year. Maybe they'll try to make it happen. Sure. I'll tell you this much. Even if they have every intention of it coming back next year, they're fucked if the big publishers don't want to work with them. 
If they say, now nah, we'll skip a, a early June 2023 E3 in favor of a uh, mid to late June game award or game summer game fest instead, that's going to be really, really, really detrimental to ESA. In fact, we already said last year and the year before that ESA is not going to be around much longer. E3 is not going to be around much longer. I think this is the the final nail in the coffin. They say they'll be back next year. I will be shocked if that's the case personally. But obviously, as someone who grew up watching E3 and, and, and always dreamed of going, this is of course sad to see. Um, I don't I don't love the ESA, which is why if it sounds like I'm like happy to report this, <laughs> that's that's why. But of course, I love E3 the event, and of course, I have a deep a severe amount of nostalgia and appreciation for it and everything that's contributed to the games industry. Obviously it's a huge part of the games industry as we know it. And so of course it's, it's sad to see it go. And, and we've seen these past few years during COVID it, it'd be kind of a clusterfuck where everyone's just trying to have their own presentation all the time. And half the times these presentations aren't even worth tuning into, you know, it's kind of like the Nintendo direct thing where it's like, all right, new Nintendo direct is coming this week. Is it going to be one of those like really good ones? Or is it going to be like one of those really stupid bullshit ones that no one needed to be here for? And we're seeing that all over the place from every key player, because that's what happens when there's no singular event to tie it all together. But it seems like with the way summer games fest is going, that that could be the event to kind of bring things back to one big event. But you know, this time there's no room for E3 to be there, unfortunately. So rip. Let me know, let me know what you guys think about that. I, I, I remain pretty confident that E3 is gone, but uh, I'd be happy to know why you, you guys disagree with that if you do. All right. You thought I was done being frustrated. I'm going to try not to be super frustrated about this because this is the uh, this is the story, the ongoing story in the news that seemingly no one just just no one gives a shit about. So it's like, whatever, whatever. What what is what does it even matter? We don't care about anything, right? Let's just get mad about Hogwarts Legacy. All right. <laughs> a little sneak peek about what we're going to talk about. So, as related by, from VGC, Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman Salman has acquired 96% of acclaimed Japanese developer SNK. Through his electronic gaming development company, The Prince now owns almost all of the developer behind Fatal Fury, Metal Slug, King of Fighters. The electronic gaming development company is a subsidiary of Mohammed bin Sal- Salman's foundation. In 2021, the U.S. intelligence report found that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman approved a plan to either capture or kill journalist Jamal Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Now, quote, Mohammed bin Salman Foundation's MISK Foundation, or MISK, I think it's, they literally say MISK is how it's pronounced, investigation, in, sorry, investment in the Japanese company SNK reinforces the continuous commitment to its goals of empowering Saudi men and women through building economic partnerships with the foundation's update strategy to maximize the positive impact on youth empowerment, said a press release when an investment was first proposed last year. Interestingly enough, the deal was formalized, formalized in February of this year, but has only recently been brought to light, implying that SNK was perhaps not interested in widely publicizing the deal. Confirmation of the investment was discovered as part of SNK's February 15, 2022 Korean-only filings. This is the latest in a series of investments in gaming companies' associations with Crown Prince. Earlier in the year, Bloomberg reported the nation's public investment fund has been used to invest in stakes of more than 5% of both Capcom and Nexcon. These investments totaled $1 billion. December of 2020, the fund acquired over $3 billion worth of stock in Activision, Blizzard, and EA, and Take-Two. It is set to receive profits on part of its investment if Microsoft's acquisition of Activision is successfully completed, as the deal will see all shares bought 
for only out for 95 bucks, whereas throughout December 2022, the price ranged from 79 to 91 per share. Oh, yeah, that's right. Catch myself earlier. Microsoft's buying all the shares of Activision for $95 a share if they get the deal, which means, you know, I think shares are going for like 60 something or 70 something right now. So, substantial profit. Side note rounding out, the public investment fund is reportedly central to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's goal of making the Saudi economy less reliant on proceeds from oil. So, that's the really important part, actually, is that ending point. Because you might ask yourself, what the fuck is a Saudi prince want to do with gaming? So, obviously, he's a younger guy. He's part of a newer generation, a newer group of people. And that and that's the whole thing is they 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 see the writing on the wall that oil the obviously their oil-based economy always and really have been as for as long as they've been a big power player in the in the world economy. And the whole thing that they've been facing is that in Saudi Arabia is that they're trying to find ways to diversify their economy so that inevitably as we start to move further and further away from oil they will still be able to be maintain their position as a massive economic force in the world economy despite you know the reliance on of oil diminishing so so that's that's the reason and it, and it seems it seems funny right because the games industry you know like you, you go back in time like 10 years and it's so funny because the games industry never seemed to play into like the world the world stage right it's like video games are this stupid little nerdy thing for sweaty guys with glasses that don't have girlfriends and whatever right we all just wrote off video games as a silly little thing for silly little people that need to grow up and that was like always a thing and then video games obviously had a couple spills where they're like in the political sphere or in the public consciousness in terms of like you know like conservative media wanting to censor and silence video games and, and try to you know rain them in a whole bunch and that was of course later contradicted when we got to modern day where now fake wannabe progressives are the ones who are trying to censor and silence video games but that's beside the point point. and then you, you see things like um like the whole esrb thing where the industry had to come together and kind of self-regulate itself to keep the government the federal government in the u.s from getting further involved in it and, and those are like rare one-off instances in the history of video games where like governments got involved, world powers got involved, people started talking and it became like a thing that was like on the world stage for like quote unquote important people to think and talk about. Right. And in the past 10 years, we've just seen it change so much. We're now all of a sudden we're talking about video game companies in such a more globalistic and legitimate kind of way in condition, which is just, it's just weird. Right. Cause I assume many of you have been following video games most of your life, if not all your life, much as the way in the way I have. And it's it's just weird to see video games constantly be brought up in terms of in terms of like social settings on a large scale and political settings on a large scale, and seeing corporations get so invested and see the whole world pay attention to Microsoft and Activision and see you know uh, the the red flags and the concern about uh, Tencent investing heavily in the games industry. And now we have the Saudi. Uh, royal family investing in the games industry and all these things it, it's weird to see because if this show were happening 10 years ago we'd just be talking about video games all the time and now we're talking about like harassment in the industry and world powers getting involved and in, and in, in ethics and human rights and all this shit and how it pertains to the video game industry and it's cool i'm glad that i'm not glad that these things happen in terms of like the ccp buying into the games industry but i'm happy to see that people are willing to have these conversations because if these things are happening, they need to be had. But it is still weird to me that as a podcast that has to talk about Xbox and video games, we have to talk about the political 
standings and happenings of Saudi Arabia. And I don't I know we have a lot of international listeners. I hope and ignorantly assume that your media and the people of your nation are hopefully more educated on the things going on in the world than the U.S. is. And and I'll say this, the U.S. isn't even necessarily not educated. The U.S. is just absurdly indifferent to this shit for whatever reason. And generally, and generally the, uh, the consensus on this is people don't pay attention to the shit happening in Saudi Arabia and in Yemen because people don't give a shit about war when it's brown people on brown people. But, you know... Ukraine versus Russia. Oh, eh, let's let's boycott Russia. Ooh, so bad. It's like okay. Well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, Saudi Arabia is like genociding Yemen right now, and um, the U.S. are like butt buddies with them. So like that's a fucking problem. Okay, first of all, you know our fucking government that Phil Spencer's talks out of both sides of their mouth all the time is out here like condemning Russia in. Uh, in like butt fucking Saudi Arabia because oil and because money and because power and because fuck human rights. Um, so everyone just doesn't give a shit about Yemen, doesn't give a shit about an oppressive society like, like Saudi Arabia where people are fucking murdered and hanged and shot for being gay or trans, where women are literally like third class citizens to men where they can't fucking vote and show their faces and drive and do shit. And they're slowly gaining more and more power, or more and more freedoms and equalities. But I don't want to see small progress in a country like this. It's like, shut the fuck up and just like, you know, like, no excuse. We're a globalized world. There's no reason why a society like this should exist. And I, I really don't care if it seems ignorant or disrespectful of another culture. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. And this, this shit just drives me nuts because you'll have like kind of funny games who will be like, we're not going to cover Hogwarts legacy because WB Avalanche is a video game developer that has nothing to do with JK Rowling. And WB, the publisher is a public video game publisher that has nothing to do with JK Rowling. And they're making a video game based on a universe and an IP that everyone fucking loves that happens to be created by JK Rowling. But this game has nothing to do with JK Rowling. Well, fuck J.K. Rowling. She's a transphobe. We're not covering this game. And fuck you if you like this game and support it. We live in a world where, like, we have that media in spades. You know, kind of funny. And these fucking, what is that, fanbite website that's fucking literally owned by Tencent. And it's like, I don't care about your feelings. If you support if you support Hogwarts Legacy, you're transphobe. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Meanwhile, they don't mind just reporting this news like it's any old story. Or even worse, ignoring the news because it's just not relevant or important enough. Where it's like, hmm, so like an overwhelming majority, like all of SNK pretty much, you know, the publisher behind Metal Slug, one of the most beloved arcade shooters of all fucking time, a game I absolutely adore, is now owned by a fucking evil war criminal piece of shit oppressive ruler in a fucking shit country. I, I, should, I should take that back. Not a shit country. A, by a shit political power over a country of what I assume are otherwise great people who are oppressed by their fucking shit government. And uh, the games industry and the games media are just like, meh, meh, don't really care. It's the same thing with Tencent. It's like Tencent has like like a quarter or more of their staff card-carrying CCP members, you know, people who fucking imprison Uyghur Muslims, put them in concentration camps, neuter women, kill gay people, denounce fucking Taiwan as a goddamn country. Like, and the games media is just like, eh, I don't care. And then it's like, oh, guys, look, white people being killed in Europe. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Oh, so, so, oh, man. Oh, let's uh, stop doing business in Russia. Oh, no, no more business in Russia. It's like, yeah, Ukraine matters. Don't get me fucking wrong. 
But like, come on, guys. I'm so fucking t- like this is a huge red flag. This is a massive loss in the industry, as far as I'm concerned. Like, th- this sucks. It sucks that we're coming into a situation more and more where you can't just buy a game because you like the game and it looks fun without it being like tied to a million social and political implications. It sucks. And I know it's always been the case with any form. That's that's that is a unfortunate consequence of global consumerism. I get it. Whatever. Right. You can't you're not a bad person for buying an iPhone. But if you buy an iPhone, just know it was made with slave labor that the U.S. government sanctions that the Chinese government sanctions that Apple is okay with, even though Apple really wants you to think they love gay people and that they're fighting for women's rights in Texas and all this shit. But they use slave labor to make your iPhone. It's like. Obviously, there has to be this level of dissonance and the, the consumer can't be fully responsible in order for this system to work because, unfortunately, it is so fucked that you as an individual consumer can't do anything about it. There's really nothing you alone can do. And so I'm not saying, fuck SNK, don't play SNK games. Never delete Metal Slug from your Xbox. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this fucking sucks. And for whatever reason, no one in the games industry wants to talk about it. No one wants to raise awareness to it. It's not a big story. We don't see Xbox saying, well, we are not going to allow SNK games on our platform. Or we are not going to do business with the Saudi uh, market. Nope. But, uh, you know, they're so progressive. You know, he, him, Microsoft team are so progressive because they're not going to sell video games in Russia. It's all fucking like moral grandstanding. It's all just fucking peacocking. Like, and it drives me insane. Absolutely insane. And I, I hate that this has to be such a political episode. I know people don't want to hear it, but like, again, the, <laughs> like, to give myself an out and an excuse here, I don't make the news. I wish the news this week were like, hey, uh, Gears of War 6 was announced and it looks fucking awesome. And also the Xbox Series Elite 3 controller is coming out and it's awesome. And also um, those overpriced $200 memory cards for your Xbox, uh, they're 50% off this week. And also Minecraft has a new update that lets you uh, blast the Numa Numa dance on Twitch streams without getting copyright struck. I wish that was the news this week. I wish we could talk about that. But I, I, this is, I literally, the, the premise of this podcast is I pull stories that are happening in the world of Xbox, I read them and interpret them to you, and then we talk about fast food and goof around in the comment section for 20 minutes. And like, I, I'm sorry if this is a shitty, unfortunate podcast to listen to this week, but like, this is the world of Xbox. This is the world of video games. Welcome. And I don't mean to be all doom and gloom, like, they're all, woe is me. <laughs> like, the thing you love and you seek out and to enjoy and, um, it's your hobby. It's your it's your escape from all the bullshit and the mundane and the stress of the real world. Your thing that that you look for as a comfort is evil, and you're evil for supporting it. And all and everything is broken and, and evil and terrible. Like that's not that's not what I mean to paint here. Like video games are awesome. The video game industry is really cool. There's a lot of great people. There's a lot of great things happening. But uh, unfortunately, this is also a part of it, and it's not a great part. And we have to talk about it because this shit happens. And uh, Kind of Funny Games only wants to talk about how J.K. Rowling is so evil because she's transphobic and apparently that that's apparently Avalanche Software's problem too. Whatever. All right. Well, let me let me just take a look. All right. I can confirm as we get through these last few stories, there are no more political stories, guys. It is all strictly about video games from here on out. Thank God. In fact, here's a great positive news story. Something really exciting, really cool for Xbox fans. Guys, are you ready for it? 
VGC relays that the, a remake of Max Payne and a remake of Re Max Payne 2 are currently in development at Remedy. The team has confirmed. The games will be sold together in a single pack and will be released on Xbox Series X and S as well as PC. Both games will be using Remedy's Northlight game engine, their current engine that they use to make Control, and Quantum Break that looks and runs beautiful, and they even made the campaigns for Crossfire X and them, so be excited about that and go play Crossfire X. The games are currently in the concept developmental stage, which means they prematurely announced these titles so fucking early, but hey, suggesting a release is some time away. So hey, uh, Remedy developed the first two Ma uh, Max Payne games, which were released in 2001 and 2003, respectively. The games were praised at the time for being groundbreaking visual effects, for having groundbreaking visual effects uh, that, that constipated photorealistic Max Payne face that everyone knows, including the use of slow, -mo bullet time, slow motion bullet time effects, similar to the ones seen in the Matrix movies. Remedy sold the rights to the Max Payne franchise um, to Rockstar Games' parent company, Take-Two, in 2002 for $34 million. Max Payne remakes have been made possible then due to an agreement between Remedy and Rockstar, which is allowing this to happen. Rockstar will fund the remakes and uh, the development budget of the remakes and will be in line with typical Remedy AAA game productions. And once Rockstar recoups its development, marketing, and other costs, Remedy has an opportunity to earn royalties from subsequent game sales. Quote, we were thrilled when our long-term, when our longtime friends at Remedy approached us about remaking the original Max Payne games. Rockstar founder Sam Hauser said in a statement, blah, 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 blah. So this is, let, let me, let's be positive for a second. This is really exciting news. Max Payne 1 and 2, obviously the games put Remedy on the map, made them who they are today. Everyone loves Max Payne. I'm really excited about this because I've never played Max Payne 2 actually. And uh, every time I try to go back and play Max Payne 1 and 2 on, on Steam, on my computer, I am reminded that they, they hold up fine. I just don't prefer to play them. And so knowing we're going to get a ground-up remake for them, oh, that's, that, that's so exciting. I, I prefer this over an Alan Wake sequel or an Alan Wake remake any day. This makes me so excited. You have no idea. I think this is actually cooler than even Control 2. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like Max Payne... Man, I, Max Payne... I, I would say Max Payne and Quantum Break are probably my two favorite Remedy games. I, I don't know. I think a lot of people didn't get the chance to really experience how awesome Max Payne was. Because it was during Remedy's early days where they were less notable and less, you know, fewer people had access to these games. And now in a world where Remedy is a much more well-known studio and, and a lot of people are excited about their products, I think a lot more people, more than ever before, are going to get exposed to these games and see how great they were and how talented Remedy really were from the, from the start. With Sam Lake's writing and storytelling and just how incredibly unique they were and how their voice was just so unlike anything else the industry had seen at that time. And... I look forward to this. I'm really excited, and obviously, we're very far away from getting these, so no even release window in sight because I bet there's nothing developed here. I bet they have a handshake agreement and a concept down. You know, what engine they're going to work in, how they're going to sell and release them, what platforms they're targeting. That's it, right? But now to be, I won't say negative, I'll say slightly dubious of the situation. It's really cool that Rockstar is willing to work with them and give them an opportunity um, to do these games, despite the fact that Rockstar owns the rights to Max Payne now, but the fact that the fact that Remini has announced their like millionth project since they last released a game is kind of concerning. Because we got control in 2019, right? Was it 2019? Yes, 2019 we got control. And then from there it's like they said, hey, we're gonna make a sequel to control. Hey, we're gonna make DLC for control. Hey, uh, we're making Alan Wake 2. Hey, we're working on a campaign for this new game called Crossfire. Hey, here's a deal with Epic Games for three games that are going to be exclusive to the Epic Games Store. Hey, here's a remake of uh, Alan Wake. And they've announced and started work on so many projects. 
I'm a little worried about Remedy because we know, especially with Control, their whole thing was like, hey, we're getting away from working with someone like Microsoft for every game. We're going to work with smaller publishers. We're going to do some independently published shit. We're going to do some remakes. We're going to work with a variety of partners, right? And they have a lot of coals in the fire, a lot of irons in the fire, rather. And that's great, but I can't help but feel like they're kind of... Is Remedy putting themselves in a Platinum Games type situation where they're spreading themselves thin and maybe they're just trying to survive and so they're having to take on so many contract jobs to try and like keep their portfolio varied, keep money flowing in from all these different avenues. And I respect and admire them so much for remaining independent all this time. We've seen all the independent companies are falling, right? Like like Insomniac sold a PlayStation. They were the last few remaining guys. Remedy's still out there. They're holding strong, but it's like, how much longer does Remedy have before they either won, finally give up and let someone like PlayStation or Xbox buy them or even worse, Tencent, maybe they'll get Embracer Group. Maybe Embracer Group will buy them. That'd be nicer. Or if not that, will they eventually hit a a roadblock the way Platinum Games has where it's like, oops, they released a dud. Oops, they released a dud. Oops, they released a dud. And now their image and their quality and their brand is tarnished and now people don't respect them the same way they did. Because I love Crossfire X. You guys know that. I talk about it all the time. But that game was not well received. And Remedy has their name on it. That's one strike. You know, what if Alan Wake 2 isn't, you know, they could be like Platinum. Platinum will release a game everyone hates and then a game everyone loves, you know? Like Nier. Everyone loves Nier. And then it's like a fucking, I don't know, what's the one they just did that I already forgot the name of because no one cares about it? It's called like Babylon's Fall or something. Complete flop of a game. So I don't want to see that happen in Remedy where it's like, here's Crossfire X's campaign. Flop. Here's Alan Wake 2. Hit. Here's a remake of Mad Max 1 and 2. Oops, they're fucked like every remake nowadays for some fucking reason, like the Grand Theft Auto games. Here's uh, Control 2. Hit. Here's uh, a game we are making that's kind of a budgety title for Epic Games. Flop. You know, it's like, I don't want to see that happen. And I'm starting to get worried that Remedy is spraying themselves too thin because we know they're traditionally a medium-sized developer. They're not a huge team. They're not a small team. They are a medium-sized developer. And so how are they working on so many projects if they're not staffing up like crazy? And if you're staffing up like crazy, how do you maintain the image, or not the image, but the culture and the individualization of Remedy Entertainment? So I'm not saying like, oh, this is bad news, bad news all around. I'm just saying a slight red flag, and I'm mildly cautious about what's going on with Remedy. But being able to remove that aspect of the interpretation in the news I'm so excited to be getting Max Payne 1 and 2 remade. I'm really happy for Alan Wake. I never finished Alan Wake, so I can't speak to it, but I'm really happy for Alan Wake fans that they're getting a sequel. I loved Control. I'm happy Control is getting a sequel. I loved the Crossfire X campaign. Fuck you guys. It was great. Buggy is all hell. Definitely needs some more work, but fuck you. It was a really fun time. I just, I just, oh, I love Remedy so much. I love Remedy so much. I really, truly believe deep in my heart. Remedy Entertainment could be for Xbox what, um, what Insomniac was for PlayStation. Xbox, why the fuck did you buy Activision? I want, I, I get it. Game Pass. We're serving Game Pass. We need quantity. I get it. But dude, Remedy would have been, oh, would have been such a good fit for Xbox. It would have been like Bethesda. It would have been another one of those Pixar kind of acquisitions where it's like, oh, this makes sense. This is at home with Xbox. But no, go buy a, go buy Bobby Kotick instead. Go do that. Um, nonetheless, really awesome to see, especially Rockstar being like, basically, we just want to recoup our development cost. And then you guys can keep whatever you make after that. Really cool of Take-Two, a massive publisher, to, to allow that to happen. Almost seems like they're kind of testing the waters just to be like, hey, let's let them do this. 
and then if if they do really well, we can kind of gauge like, okay, people like Mad Ma- or Max Payne, people are still into that. All right, maybe Rockstar will do a Max Payne four. You know, maybe it's a test a water test bed for them or something, <laughs> a testing the waters kind of thing, not a, not a water bed. Uh, but anyway, so there's that. <laughs> Our uh, God, we're moving really slow. Let's try to speed it up. Next up, and this is going to be an eye roll story, but hey, it's video game related, not political related. Ubisoft is developing a new third-person shooter IP, according to a new report. According to Xputer, the project, which is currently known as Pathfinder, is in development at the publisher. Xputer claims to have seen images and videos of the game, which says it's, it shares a similar graphic style to Hyperscape, which is Ubisoft's soon-to-be-shut-down-forever battle royale game that totally flopped after releasing a few years ago. The Project Pathfinder quote appears to be slightly different take on a battle royale game where a team of four players will drop into a map, find paths towards the center of the fight um, to fight the main AI boss, the publication claims. The game will also reportedly require players to navigate through different stages of the map, breaking through series of uh, changes between games. This is presumably the Pathfinder aspect of the game. Now, a lot of people are saying that it's got like some destiny tower like aspects of a hub world when you're not playing and that it seems like this game is mostly just scrapping aspects, art uh, assets and different things of hyperscape and trying to turn it into a new game. Even if that is the case, I, I respect that over hyperscape, which was just an uninspired paint by numbers. Let's try to jump in on the, uh, the, the wave of popularity and do battle royale. This sounds like a unique original idea Thoughtfully made Battle Royale competitor, and I'm for it. Ubisoft is taking a lot of shit right now for NFTs, for just making all their games the same fucking game, for just doing all this anti consumer shit and all this bandwagony shit instead of really creative original shit. And um, credit where credit's due. This, this sounds, at least in concept, like a more interesting idea than something like what, what's that game called? Defiant X or whatever, which is just Ubisoft knockoff Call of Duty. So, we'll see. Apparently, um, you know, obviously, Hyperscape completely bombed. It was out for, like, maybe two years. But uh, hopefully, they're they're able to rework a lot of the assets that they had and make it into something unique and original, although I'm not holding my breath because Ubisoft seems to be rather hit or miss. Far Cry 6, the latest, uh, whatever that uh, Viking Assassin's Creed game was, apparently, you know, really good games. But everything they're doing with, like, Ghost Recon and NFTs and all these, like, one-off little multiplayer free-to-game shit, play games and all that shit, uh, just, <laughs> what are you doing, Ubisoft? All right. Our penultimate story before we wrap up. Windows Central reports that accompanying the news that Unreal Engine 5 is now available for all developers, Epic Games has closed a state of Unreal stream by having Tomb Raider developer Crystal Dynamics make a special announcement. The next Tomb Raider game is in development with Unreal Engine 5, Crystal Dynamics has confirmed. The news follows a recent industry trend of games being announced fairly early on in order to recruit the project's development cycle. Epic Games recently announced a partnership with CD Projekt Red, confirming that the next Witcher game will also be using Unreal 5, eschewing CD Projekt Red's proprietary Red Engine technology. The last Tomb Raider game that was released was Shadow of the Tomb Raider in 2018 with development of Crystal Dynamics Western Studio Eidos Montreal. Crystal Dynamics led the development of that of uh, sorry of the 2013 reboot of Tomb Raider as well as the 2015 sequel Rise of the Tomb Raider, which was a fucking awesome game. In 2020, Crystal Dynamics released Marvel's Avengers with mixed commercial and critical success. The team also currently is aiding Xbox Studio the Initiative in the development of Perfect Dark Reboot which is also using the Unreal Engine, but I think that's using Unreal Engine 4, if I'm not mistaken. And then initially what was announced was that 
the director of the PlayStation open world zombie game that came out a few years ago, Days Gone, Jeff Ross, who in a whole famous PlayStation thing that happened in recent months, left uh, the developer Sony Ben that made the game Days Gone. He has uh, since gone on to join Crystal Dynamics in part of the reboot of the new Tomb Raider game. So that's actually pretty notable acquisition. He's a very talented, uh, long-standing game dev, really big talent on this project. So this is interesting because Crystal Dynamics is another team that's a little bit of a mess. They were forced into this almost like Bioware situation of like, hey, you guys make this one type of game, now go make Anthem. They're like, hey, you guys make these really good Tomb Raider games, now go make Destiny for Avengers. And I know people really like the Avengers game. A lot of people say it was a really fun game, despite criticism that that was levied towards the product. But what a lot of people tend to agree on unanimously is that ultimately it just wasn't it wasn't a game that felt within the wheelhouse of Crystal Dynamics. Now, of course, I can't speak to this because I have not played Avengers yet, but this seems to be a pretty highly agreed upon interpretation. And it's interesting to see that after all the back and forth, the up and down that came with Avengers, it's like, well, what's next for the team? We're going back to Tomb Raider. And they've been selling such a whirlwind of an adventure because it was like, okay, we did Avengers. And now we have a team that supports post-launch content, but that game did not take off the way we thought it would. So we need to move on to the next thing. So in the intermediary, we'll have this team that's waiting for the next project work with Xbox at their all over the place, complete mess of a studio, the initiative and whatever the hell they're doing, perfect dark. And then you take that team from there and it's like, okay, well, what's the next project? And they're like, okay, it's Tomb Raider. But now it's like, well, where's Crystal Dynamics? Because we know we know what's happening. Talent in the games industry is really hard to get right now. Everyone's being gobbled up for a lot of fucking money. A lot of studios cannot compete with the price of talent right now. It's hard to get developers. But like this game is very far away from being in a showable, announceable, proper state. And Crystal Dynamics, a lot of their people right now are working with the initiative on a game that's seemingly never fucking coming out. And they have another team still supporting Avengers. And so it's like, this thing is very far off. And it makes me a little sad because now it's like, those two Mario games are really good. I thought the one IDOS made, no, Crystal Dynamics and... I thought the one that Eidos Montreal made in 2018, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, was significantly weaker than the first two that uh, Crystal Dynamics made with 2013 and the 2015 Shadow of the Tomb Raider or Rise of the Tomb Raider. So it makes me happy to see Crystal Dynamics is going back to Tomb Raider because I, I think they can do it much better than Eidos Montreal and I think they have done it much better. And I really, really loved what they did in 2015 and would love to see a follow-up to that. So that makes me pretty excited. But what makes me sad is that Basically, in between 2015's um, Shadow of the, or Rise of the Tomb Raider and whenever this next Tomb Raider comes out, we just have this massive chunk of time where they were wasting their resources and their time on this Avengers project that just wasn't their kind of game. And then they were helping support Xbox on this Vaporware product that is the Initiative's Perfect Dark remake. And then they had to restart from scratch and work on the next Tomb Raider, which has set them back so far. Not to mention during all of that, all this shit happened in the games industry where development talent is so hard to find and really expensive and there's a huge shortage of devs apparently. And COVID happened, which kind of fucked up development and displaced people all over and, and built another situation. So now Crystal Dynamics, I don't think they're nearly as in a bad a situation as um, Bioware. I want to be clear about that. But they are in a Bioware-esque situation where it's like they fucked off for so many years, worked on all this shit that's not them, got fucked around, lost talent, gained talent, lost talent again, and just now they're coming back. 
Bioware ran away, did all this other stuff, put on all these other projects. And now, after all this wasted time between Mass Effect 3 and Dragon Age Inquisition and where they are today working on Dragon Age 4, the next Mass Effect game, we just lost so many years and so much talent from Bioware. And that studio basically is just a complete shell of its former self. And I don't want to say that be the case with Crystal Dynamics. And it doesn't seem like it's that they're in that kind of dire situation. But it, it sucks. It's like, why couldn't they have just been left alone to do what they were doing? But instead, we had to put them on the Avengers project. And instead, we had to give them to Microsoft to fuck around with this game that they're apparently never making because Microsoft can't fucking manage a single goddamn game, even when they have some of the best talent in the entire goddamn games industry. And now we're getting back to square one with Tomb Raider. It's like, well, damn. Silver lining? At least we didn't get just Tomb Raider after Tomb Raider after Tomb Raider and then get fatigued on it. Best case scenario? There's a big chunk of time between the last and the next Tomb Raider game, and it allows us an opportunity to grow a fondness for and desire to play more and miss the franchise. So that's the positive thinking, and uh, I'm glad that Crystal Dynamics has a new project, but it sucks that this is the kind of roundabout situation they had to have just to come right back to where they were, you know? But guys, that is... <laughs> Let's uh let's round out the podcast with uh new game pa- um, pass releases of the month. So this is coming straight from the Xbox Wire. Available now on Game Pass, we have Cricket 22 on Cloud and, Con- and Console, MLB The Show 2022 Cloud and Console to day- available day one with Game Pass. So uh, obviously huge get Sony's game again day one uh, release on Game Pass, and then coming soon or as of the time you're listening to this, most of these will actually be out or half of these will be out. But Chinatown Detective Agency Cloud Console and PC on April 7th, also included day one with Game Pass. Dragon Age 2 via EA Play is available on Cloud April 7th. Also on April 7th, we got Plants vs Zombies Garden Warfare on Cloud. Star Wars Squadrons on Cloud. And then here's here's the one I'm most excited for. On April 12th, we've got Life is Strange True Colors on cloud console and PC. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I kind of feel a little bad because I wanted to buy it and support it at launch, but I knew it was going to come to PC and I, or Game Pass, and I just didn't really have the time to play. Oh, we should probably play this on, on PC for the stream. That'd be good. Anyway, I just knew I didn't have time at the time it released to play it. Um, so now I'll get around to it, but unfortunately I won't be giving the developer money because I won't be buying it from them. Panzer Corps 2, Panzer Corps 2, um, PC on April 12th, also on PC April 12th, the Dungeon of New Helbic, and then on April 14th, last one, Lost in Random, Cloud Console PC, EA Play title, coming at you, baby. And then also on April 15th, we're losing a couple of games, so obviously understandable, MLB The Show 21 is leaving Cloud and Console because... We're getting MLB The Show 22. Rain on Your Parade's leaving Cloud Console and PC. The Long Dark is leaving Cloud Console and PC, which has been there forever. And Pathway is leaving PC. So play them now if you want to play them. Otherwise, get ready for some new games. Now, guys, that's going to do it for all of our big news. But let's real quick go into our important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough, however, to warrant their own discussions. Lightning round through them. VGC reports that... THQ Nordic have announced that they will hold their own annual second annual digital showcase event on August 12, 2022. Basically, their E3 replacement. Way too early announced, but whatever. Windows Central relays the, the Among Us developer Innersloth have teamed with 343 Industries to announce a crossover between Halo and Among Us with some new skins and a new event with a Spartan helmet and all this other shit. So that shit's available now. You can partake in if you play uh, Among Us. VGC also reports that the next World of Warcraft expansion is apparently leaked and is officially going to be announced later in April. Blizzard has said that they're planning a reveal for an expansion during an April 19th event. 
but uh, I, I I don't know if that technically counts. You know, they might be Xbox owned. It's PC, but it's not Xbox. I don't know if that news counts, but I felt like it was relevant. Uh, VGC also relays that Xbox have announced a kick. This is interesting. Kickstart your career, a new mentoring program aimed at young people looking to pursue a career in gaming. I guess Xbox is looking for some child labor with all the development shortage. Haha. <laughs> leadership across Xbox will ser- uh, leaders across Xbox will serve as mentors on the project, which will include virtual coaching sessions. Among the mentorships and programs are Xbox social marketing manager Haley Heller, Xbox creator manager me. Koshimizu, Everwild executive producer Luis O'Connor, and the coalition producer Vanessa Nyarko. Uh, these, those interested in the program can register now. The deadline for registration is April 17th, so get to it, you bitches. Now, Windows Central relays that the next Monkey Island adventure game is officially in development. Devolver Digital is has announced a return to Monkey Island, a game being developed by Terrible Toy Box in, coll- in collaboration with Lucasfilm Games, Disney Games publishing arm that partners with developers on various titles. Notably, the series director, Ron Gilbert, is returning to direct Return to Monkey Island, which is a huge get for fans of the uh, of the game. Of course, has a really hardcore, say, like, um, underground kind of following for an older title. Now, Return to Monkey Island is currently slated to arrive at some point later in the year, though no exact release date has been announced. They haven't even announced platforms yet, but you can assume Xbox, definitely PC. VGC relays that Sega and Two Point Studios have announced that Two Point Campus has been delayed and will now release on August 9th instead of May 17th. And finally, VGC relays that Rockstar will release the physical version of the Grand Theft Auto V Xbox Series X version on April 12th. That's the physical version. Digital version is already available now, so don't don't ask me what's going on. Now, guys, this week we're actually going to skip the new game releases because really the only notable one is MLB The Show 22, and because this show is going on very long, so I want to nip it in the bud, end it now while we can. But it is a new month, so let's go over the new games with gold for April. Surprise, surprise, it's pretty disappointing, but there's some notable stuff. Another site is available all month long, so you can download that. I've never heard of that, but there's a cat on the box, so I'm going to probably try it. Hue is available from April 16th to May 15th. I remember when this game came out. I think it was in 2014. I remember people were really excited about this little indie game. They said it's cool because it has like a colorblind mode, which was novel at the time. Outpost Coloki X is some game that was for 360 that I never knew about. It's available April 1st through 15th. And then finally, MX vs. ATV Alive is available April 16th through the 30th, which is one of the later MX vs. ATV games. I didn't know these things were still around, but damn, are they fun, so that's pretty cool. Make sure you download those games. But guys, that is it for our show. Now, I apologize. Maybe it was a little not your taste this week with all the political up- upheaval, complaining about shit stuff. Again, I work with the news I'm given. I don't make the news. I, I really wish we could have talked this week about how Phil Spencer is actually, you know, went to a game jam over the weekend, came up with a new concept for a game, and now the initiative is going to take it and make a AAA rendition out of it, even though it's a game of, apparently about uh, a Master Chef Junior uh, who wants to wants to be a Pokemon master, but instead of catching instead of catching Pokemon, he wants to catch eggs. Uh, so he can make delicious omelets out of all the various Pokemon. And so he, you got to go around trying to get Rattatat, Pikachu, and Charmander eggs and trying to and trying to make little Pokemon omelets out of them. It's a whole thing, but that's not what was in the news, so that's not what we get to talk about. So, guys, I'll round out by saying this. Appreciate it, as always. If you have any feedback for how the show could be better, feel free to write in, leave a comment, leave a, leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify. Leave me your feedback. It's the only way I know how to make the show better or what you think of it. 
Appreciate your support. As always, guys, be sure to follow me on Twitter if you want to interact that way, at Jesse DeRosa. Follow the Xbox on Podcast on your favorite podcast service or on YouTube. And then follow me on YouTube and Twitch for fun videos and for streams on Monday nights at or, uh, at Lightning Extreme. Now, new YouTube video. I swear to God it's in the works. I swear to God it's about Elden Ring. It's just I don't know what's happening with me in, in free time right now. I need, to, I need to cut myself off from society and just make it happen. But thank you for allowing me to make excuses for myself. Thank you for supporting the show and listening. As always, guys, I appreciate you so much. Take care. Be safe. Have a wonderful week. And until next time, power your dreams. (laughs) 